Um, four, three, two, one. Ben Greenfield eats ants. Mm. Just want everybody to know. Hey, I'd, if I was going to go to Disney as much as you go to Disney, I'd, I'd eat a lot more black ants. Why are you eating black ants? Ant. Well, supposedly, I actually don't know that much about ants. I'm just, I'm just eating it because it supposedly gives you energy. I needed a, a pick me up this morning. We lifted waist this morning, and I needed a second boost of energy. But apparently, these ants live in ginseng roots. And they have something that grows in their heads that acts as like a nootropic. It's like some kind of a chemical nootropic. And it also supposedly is one of these Chinese energy tonics. It's like the whole, you know, the doctrine of signatures. You know the doctrine of signatures? No, in nature? what's that? Have you heard? It's the idea that, that things in nature give you clues, right? So, so like when you slice open a tomato... You've got the four chambers of the heart, and tomato is supposedly good for the heart. Or pomegranate is good for your blood, and the little pomegranate seeds look like red blood cells. You slice open a carrot, it looks like an eye, or you, you crack open an egg, it looks like an eye. Those are, those are good for your vision. Um, sweet potatoes, which everybody thinks is like a, like a sweet, sugary food, those are actually shaped like a pancreas. And they can actually help to normalize your, your beta cells, like your, your insulin-producing beta cells in your pancreas. So you look at, you know, walnuts for your brain, and people talk about uh, avocados, right? Mm -hmm. Supposedly they look a little bit like an ovary, and they're good for female reproductive function. Hmm. So you can, you can carry that over from the plant kingdom into the animal kingdom and say that if you eat ants because they're such energetic, endurance-driven creatures that it supposedly will make you stronger. Boy, that's so, a stretch. Well, wait till this stuff hits me and then we'll arm wrestle. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been doing it for a while? How long have you been taking this stuff? That was the third time I've I've actually used it. You just and dissolve it. I mean, I've, I used it for a workout a couple of times. So this is your was, concoction, right? You took ground well, I, up I, ants. I, I didn't grind up the ants myself. That would have been exhausting to catch. Did you buy them ground up? I bought ground up black ant powder. Okay, and, Jim, and Jimmy just pulled up some ginseng yeah, ants. I, I don't powder. think they're called. That's actually, that's where King I bought them. That's where I bought them. Lost them part. Polyrachis ants. A key mm. tonic of Chinese herbalism. But you know what? The Chinese people are also into the rhino horn. It's, so it's not just not... a pre-workout herb. According to the website, it's a pre-workout super herb. Oh, a super which herb. Is supposedly far more scientifically super like than a, a regular food. herb. Right. It's like a superfood. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a little annoyed yeah. with that word yeah. superfood. I, I like that idea, though, of the doctrine of signatures, right? Like certain things that you see in nature being good for you. There's, there's right. one called... Um, I forget the uh, the name of this plant, but it's called the insulin of the heart, and it's amazing for decreasing sympathetic nervous system activation and causing you to relax, and it has these beneficial cardiovascular properties in people who are just so driven that they tend to have, for example, you know, a, a heart attack or an MI, and it's uh, it's not splilanthes. I forget the name of this, but it, but it looks like a heart, and it has all these red vessels that kind of come off it. It's called Whoa. the insulin of the heart. Um, it, there's there's an app that my kids and I use to identify a lot of these. It's called Flower Checker. So you read about this ant stuff online, and then you started taking yeah. it, and then well, you mixed it in some sort of a tincture. Here it is. Just vodka. Yeah. Yeah, Ubane. That stuff. Nature's uh, yeah, perfect but forgotten remedy for heart disease. Ooh, Bane. I interviewed a physician on my show, Dr. Thomas Cowan, and he wrote a book about how the heart is not a pump. And he talks about the true reason for heart disease being sympathetic nervous system overdrive. What, what does he mean by the heart is not a pump? Mineral depletion. 
and dehydration. And what he means by the heart is not a pump. It's a fascinating book. The shape of the chest is, I, I believe it's called like a tetrahedron or some, it, it's, it's something like that. But basically, as fluid moves through the heart, the action of the fluid actually moving through the heart allows it to, to pass through the heart and not have to be pumped through the body, but rather the shape of the heart is almost like causing the fluid to move in a vortex. And but so the heart it moves more readily out of the body. Oh, the heart, the heart contracts, yeah. but, but it's less of a pumping action and more of like a, like a vortex flow that it creates. The book's called Why Your Heart Is Not a Pump. Hmm. It's very interesting. Is it why, well received amongst scientists? No, it's, it kind of flies under the radar a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's an interesting book. Short mm. book. It's like maybe a hundred like pages long. Universally yeah. regarded as a pump. Yeah. I don't know if, if you would necessarily classify it as a pump as much as a contracting muscle. Hmm. But boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. But when you die and then they mm. bring you back to life, they push your heart to make it pump. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. Seems like yeah. pump. Yeah. But so, I don't know shit. So, Read the book. It's okay. interesting. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> but this this uh, this flower checker app, this flower checker app, it's really cool. You you take a picture of a plant, and then there's a team of live botanists on the other end, and within 24 hours they identify the plant for you, and you can learn its its edible properties, its medicinal properties. So my kids and I can walk around and take pictures of different plants, different flowers, different things on our land, huh. and it develops this online herbarium. That then allows you to keep track of all the different plants and what you've learned about them and, and what they're good for. So we use that whenever we're identifying plants. There was one time when we were fishing off the off the uh, the North Fork of the Clearwater. So we went on this fly fishing trip and Where's we stayed that? in this the cabin. Clearwater? The the Clearwater up in Idaho. So we were near uh, Grangeville. Most people fly into Grangeville, Idaho. It's a great fly fishing, huge steelhead and. Uh, the the hike that we went on we didn't have our phones or anything with us to take pictures of of what we were finding and we found this this enormous uh almost like a like a field of wild asparagus which is oh, wow. and and my buddy who was with us he had bear broth that he was that he was it was like a bear bone broth that he had in this vat back at the cabin so we harvested all this asparagus and this was before we went out fishing and we put all the asparagus into the bone broth and then just left for the day and then we came back and we had we had fish we had bone broth we had asparagus and we all ate this bone broth and it turns out that this stuff was not asparagus so my kids and I our heads were spinning all night the guy that owned the cabin apparently he didn't sleep he was just like hunched over the toilet the whole evening and it turns out this stuff is called i think it was brassica it looks like asparagus but apparently it has very high levels of nicotine <coughs> so oh, we were Jesus all Christ. overdosed on nicotine for the next two days on this fishing trip my yeah, you kids, should probably me, be really that, careful yeah, before you eat that's, wild that's shit the, that's the only time i haven't used that app to actually go go plant foraging who, who thought it was asparagus we all thought it was asparagus you know it was me one of the chefs who was out of the cabin with us uh, my kids and and twin nine year old boys know a lot about plants, so you always trust them if they say it's wild asparagus. But I, I was convinced it was asparagus. I mean, I, I kind of tasted it out there while we were we were out in the field, and it tasted like asparagus. But no, it's not asparagus. It's it's brassica. Jesus so, Christ! Yeah, that sounds horrible. Yeah. 
Yeah, but they uh, there's another app called a Plant Snap, and apparently it uses artificial intelligence. You know, like a reverse Google image search to mm-hmm. identify a plant. I've used that, and it's it's useless. Anything you take a really? picture of it, it, it doesn't seem to be able to identify anything. But this flower checker is just live people on well, the other end. Does Google? And, there's there's Google image search is like some some. There's a an application that uses cameras, and if you take a photo of something, it can identify it. Right, what is it? What is exactly. The most... I, th- I think that's called like a reverse Google image search or something mm. like that. But but the AI doesn't seem to work as well for plant identification. I would imagine it's looking at the leaves, the shape of the leaves, how it comes off right. the plant, you know, the veins, the, the the opposite versus symmetrical, you know, everything that goes into a plant identification. But now, when you you still I'd rather fish, go with a real person. Steelhead, yeah, you got to go with a real yeah. person. You got to go yeah. with an actual botanist. Yeah. Um, Steelhead are uh, ocean-bound uh, rainbow trout, right? They come back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Um, do you guys yeah. do you catch and release, or, or do you eat them? This was all catch and release. There, there's it's a real um, common thing with those. Yeah, there, there's a certain kind that you can catch, and I, I, I'm not a fly fishing expert. This was like a fun trip with my kids mm-hmm. to learn how to fly fish, and we didn't catch any that we could actually keep. Yeah, I don't understand that kind of fishing. It's weird. You know, that, yeah. That take a long trip, go out into the wilderness, go to the river. Catch, catch the fish, them. let it go. Yeah, it seems yeah. it's it's the thrill of the chase. I get it. I mean, it's great chase. for kids. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've done it with uh, kids bass fishing before. Yeah, but it's just uh, you can't do that when you bow hunt. No, no, but it's just no it's, and it's a weird thing. You're you know sticking a hook in a fish's mouth and then letting it mm-hmm. go. Like, yeah, we got them. Let's let them go. Yeah, they're hard oh. reeling. That's like a ten minute fight it's to get those animal. fish in. They're big. Yeah, they're powerful really fish, too. Yeah. They deal yeah. with those ocean currents. Mm-hmm. Ocean fish are almost always more strong yeah. when, you, when you pull yeah. them in than yeah. uh, freshwater fish. No, they're, they're very strong. They're stronger than ants, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so big, go back to this ant thing. Go back to this ant thing and, and tell me what has been the reaction, like when you take it, like what, how you feel. Just more, just like a cup of coffee. You really just do feel energy. like... You do, you do feel more energy. Do you think it's yeah. because of the ginseng, or is it possibly a placebo I, effect? I think they just live within the ginseng, and that makes the story sexier for the mm. website that sells So you think just powder. eating the ants themselves give you energy? I would imagine that you'd have to catch a lot of ants to get what you'd get out of like all the powdered extract that they, right. that they sell you. Right, but I mean so. eating the powdered extract then. Just that, right. somehow or another. What's the mechanism right. for like, giving you energy? Uh, there, there's some chemical that's, that's in the ants. Huh. But I, I don't know the mechanism of action. Again, I like I. I really don't claim to be an expert in ant ex- extract. But yet but you I, have a I'm, bottle. But of I'm it. sure I have. I have a bottle of it. it was It was in, in with all my other supplements, and and uh, I was packing up this morning and thought it would be an, an interesting one. It is show, interesting to show to you. Just a giant bottle that says ant on it. What is the um, <laughs> What's the standard way that people take it? Do they? Like, I think, add I think as, a, as a powder or, or as a tincture. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine you could probably put it in a smoothie. Yeah. Yeah, with your with your bee pollen, your other right. insect derivatives. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, yeah. What a weird one, huh? Yeah. Anyways, though, you sh- you should have come out and done the Spartan. I I know you were at Disney. Yeah, I but, told you I couldn't yeah. go, so I don't yeah. know why you said I should. Yeah, when well, I told you, you I couldn't. Well, Di- Spartan, Spartan's, uh, Spartan's a little bit more interesting than Disney, in my opinion. Well, I didn't go to Disney yeah, for myself. Down. Yeah, yeah. They have they have kids. Do you, races you out like? There too. But you were doing commentary or something. Is that what you're doing? I was doing the. Uh, they they have commentary all day long at these Spartan races. So I was doing the commentary and then I raced the next day. Oh, so you yeah. did it one day commentary yeah. one day. So it was a two yeah. day race thing. It would. They do the way they do it. They get like tens, probably. I would say some of these races eight to twelve thousand athletes. Wow. In, in that in that approximate 
range. So they, they break it up. They go out, they break it up. There's long races, there's short races. So the long race was 13, about 13 miles, which on a road half marathon, that'd be like a 105 that an athlete would do on a, on a race like that. And so it's a so 13 out, out mile there run with the obstacles and the hills and it's out of big bear, which is a ski resort, yeah. which I just found out from my wife, apparently use fake snow. There's like a pond at the top of the, at the top of the resort that they make all the snow with. Apparently well, it's real actually... snow, but it's artificially created, right? It's like they make it with a snow yes. machine. It's artificially like created in... real snow made yeah. from water at the top it's of the mountain like in a snow machine. It's not. Yeah, it's it's not it's not foam. <laughs> I wonder if anybody's trying uh, to do that to make foam snow. Yeah, to make some snow I don't like know. some. Ask, ask them at the mall in Dubai. They've got right. some. They've got something over there. I don't but know. But I bet if it's, it's a snow, snow machine. Yeah, right? it probably is actual. Snow drive. Yeah, from the water. mall in Dubai, they have like a crazy hill, right? Mm-hmm. You could ski. Yeah, they have an actual indoor ski. They have penguins, an indoor ski resort, everything. Jeez. Yeah, so this race, though, for those same 13 miles, it's like two hours. And I think the winner did a 216, 217, something like that. So, and so you have to jump so over stuff. You're going stuff. a lot slower. Yeah, you got to carry carry sandbags and carry big gravel buckets. It's like doing yard chores and then running to your next <laughs> yard chore. You know, barbed wire crawling and, and hoisting ropes. But it's good for full body fitness. Because I used to do winner. triathlon. When I did triathlon, I was weak, right? Because you, yeah. you swim, you bike, you run, and I had an engine that could go for days. But I did my first Spartan race, and I couldn't climb a rope, and I couldn't carry oh. you know, a sandbag up a hill. So I think it's good for functional fitness. Here it is right here. Yeah. Jamie's got a video of it up there. Oh, that's, a, that's a stadium. That's actually a Bird good way guy. to start. Oh, this that's, is that's inside of the this? stadium. Did a Dodger Stadium a couple weeks yeah. ago. And, the, oh, and you know, you don't have to get muddy, and there's no fake snow, and the He's stadium races. He's running with a fucking <laughs> selfie stick? Yeah. I don't know how oh, fast yeah. they did it. You know, it's, it's, it, it can be kind of a joke because some people will go out in uniforms with big cowboy hats on and, you know, dressed up as, as a Spider-Man in their Lycra. And, and then some people, they, they have these elite waves where it's actual, uh, you know, legit athletes doing this. This is kind of interesting, but, though. But it is, you know, you can see you move your body in a lot of different ways on these courses. So it's fun, you know, it's fun to train for cuz you got to train all your different body parts and you train for power and strength and there's endurance. So it's a good mix of everything. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know they're doing them yeah. in stadiums. That's kind of cool. The stadium races are cool cuz you just show up at, at AT&T Stadium where right. you're going to race and and you go up and down and and they will turn a stadium into like a, a 3 to 4 mile event. I mean, that's how many times you go up and down these right. stairs and they have an event for the kids where the kids will go up and down the stairs and the kids have miniature sandbags and miniature spears. So it actually is kind of a cool event. That's for, pretty badass. The, that looked like for pretty the whole badass. family. Except for his fucking selfie stick. Mm-hmm. Like everything must be documented. You cannot live in this life without people knowing exactly what you're doing at all times. Yeah. Running yeah. with a selfie stick. I'm oh, taking my kids you. to one of those uh, those trained hunt competitions this weekend. Oh, yeah? And Bonner's Ferry. So they're going to do their first actual kids. And same thing. It's the kids' events where the, the kids shoot. They've got 15 to 20-yard shots, and then they have like a sandbag lift and a run, and then they've got another shot, and they've got burpees up and over a cooler and another shot, and then there's a, there's a grown-up event and a kids' event. Those things are fun, too. And yeah, that's those are really interesting. The idea behind them is kind of cool, too, because it lets people know what – like if you're, if you're involved in one of those backcountry backpack hunts, it's, it's very much a physical event. Like Very you, much. You're carrying most likely at least 35 to 45 pounds on your back, especially if you're carrying your camp on your back. And then you're hiking, you know, thousands of feet of elevation. You're up and down, mm-hmm. climbing over logs and shit. You're carrying your bow. There's a, a lot of physical exertion involved. Like there, Well, there's a lot of crawling. A yeah. lot of crawling. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you did that Hawaii hunt. Yeah. Which island did you hunt? Lanai. Lanai, yeah. I, I hunted Kona. Uh, I guess it was like five weeks ago and on the sheep hunt because the sheep stay out in the, in the open plains, you'll crawl sometimes for an hour and a half yeah. to, to, to get close enough for a shot. Yeah. The, the final sheep. day, um, well, I killed, I killed two axis buck out, out there and the final day we crawled for at least an hour, at least an hour, like super fucking slow. Those things are switched on. And it's frustrating too with, with an animal or, or sheep. Sheep are not stupid. They're yeah. smart. Now they're not as fast as an axis, but that's the most frustrating part. Is is you'll put on a crawl, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you're 200 yards out, and you spend an hour getting 60, and then the wind swirls, yeah. and they pick you up, and they're off. Yeah, and then you just stand up times. and brush yourself off, and you got to go crawl again. Yeah, but you know, if it was easy, it wouldn't yeah. be hunting. Yeah, it'd just I, be killing. I got one of those jungle scrub cows. I told yeah, you. Yeah, you were telling yeah. me about that. Yeah. So these. To, to explain to people what a scrub bull is, because well, uh, apparently they're just they're just feral cows. Yeah, and they're, they're not they're not all bulls. Cows. There's bulls and cows. cows. I shot yeah. a cow, and I thought at first that it was going to be kind of a stupid hunt shooting a cow because it, you know the, the the pigs are pigs. They they eat really well because they feed on macadamia nuts. They're a lot mm. better than the pigs in Texas. And they they taste amazing macadamia we, did, nuts, we, we huh? did it we did it yeah it's very fatty almost right. like like a nutty meat so wow. we did a cinco de mayo cook-off me and my kids and we took the ribs from from this pig that Ooh. i shipped back so you know and it cost it was like 150 bucks to ship 250 pounds of meat back from kona so i had sheep pig and cow and shipped wow. it all back which is not that expensive and the the pig was i mean it it ate better than any pork I've ever had in my life. Really? The, these ribs. And, you know, we blended them up and my kids made a, made an adobo sauce with the peppers and, and they, oh. they have a little food podcast. So we, we did all wow. this for their food podcast. But, oh my goodness, it's like the fattiest, but but like a nutty, flavorful fat because they feed on these macadamia nuts. Wow. You know, there's no grain, there's no corn. Right. Know, they're, and they're just wild and running around <clears throat> out there. So the pig was really good, but the cow was tough. Yeah. It, was, it was a it was a tough cow. I I went, on the first day we were out there. I took the back strap and I soaked that in lemon juice all day, and, and that kind of broke it down a little bit. And it wasn't that bad. But what I did when I got home was I've got a refrigerator out in my garage, and I hooked up a temperature controller to it. You can get this temperature controller. It's called an A four one nine. And it'll keep the temperature of the refrigerator about 34 to 38 degrees. So rather than plugging the refrigerator into the wall, you plug it into this, this temp control unit. And then you put a humidifier in and a fan, like on the, on the bottom of the fridge. And then you take all your meat and you lay it out on grates in the refrigerator. And I left it in there for about three weeks, this scrub cow. And it develops this hard, gristly coating on the outside of, of, the, of the meat. And then I took it out and just sliced all this hard, gristly part off of the outside, and the inside of that meat was like butter. So you're dry aging it, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's it's a dry aging refrigerator, but you control the the temperature you want about 34 to 38 degrees, and then the humidity can vary a lot more than that, but I kept the humidity at about 60 to 70 degrees. And then basically you just slice off all that hard, gristly external coating, and you've got this amazing me i mean super soft super tender mm. and then i just have this uh this vacuum packer and and it's a, a cool little unit you can just cut a bag any size you want right for a neck or a shoulder or like a smaller bag for a back strap or a tenderloin and uh bagged it up yeah i have one of those vacuum sealers yeah. those things are awesome yeah so but the dry aging was key yeah i have friends that have one of those walk-in coolers and they could mm-hmm. set it to a certain temperature and they hang the meat and dry yeah. age it out there but that 
I don't know what walk-in cooler they have because I looked into the dry aging refrigerators, mm-hmm. and those are like five thousand dollars. Yeah, they're to expensive. Get a dry, but you can get a refrigerator off Craigslist. That A four one nine thing I bought that was like fifty bucks How off big Amazon. Is it? The refrigerator, yeah, just a normal size Regular refrigerator. Size refrigerator. Yeah. and so yeah. in so the the food is on grates inside that refrigerator. Yeah, and so I, so I took all the, the shelving out of the refrigerator, mm-hmm. and I just put some plywood on on either side of the refrigerator, and, and I put these metal grates. Oh, so you constructed your own sort right, of exactly, and mm-hmm. then just laid the meat down on the grates and put the fan on the bottom of the refrigerator, so it's constantly circulating ah. the air inside the refrigerator, and then the temperature controller has this. Uh, uh, it, it'll display. So in my kitchen, in my house, it'll display the temperature and the humidity. So I know if something goes wrong. So not all that meat spoils inside the refrigerator. Cause I'll see when I'm inside my kitchen, it'll read that, that the temperature is getting too high in the refrigerator. Oh. So maybe somebody unplugged the fridge or the controller you know, needed to be reset, which happened a couple of times, but you, know, you want to keep an eye on it. Yeah. It's a great way though, to take meat and I mean, make it far more flavorful, more tender. Well, it's especially really that kind yeah. of meat. I mean, right, that's that a meat that's tough, tough anyways. It's tough, tough animal. it's gamey. Yeah. yeah. These yeah. Um, water buffaloes, like you see the one behind me, uh, a buddy of mine shot one of those in Australia, and he said that he had uh, Cam Haynes, he had a piece of it in his mouth, and he was chewing one piece for a half an hour. Yeah. That's how tough it is. And this was the yeah. back strap, which was, yeah. you know, one of the more tender parts of the body. Yeah. Yeah, there's this idea though that, that that's good for it's good for your jaw, it's good for your teeth structure. Like there's oh, this guy, sure. uh, I think it's Max Mew. Uh, my my brother sent me this this YouTube video. This guy, but his his whole idea is that that humans' jaw structure, our bone density, our teeth, our trigeminal nerves, all of that don't work as well as they should because we grow up on soft food mm. and we don't have to chew food. That as makes much. sense. A lot yeah. of boxers chew like big chunks of bazooka mm-hmm. bubblegum. Right. You know, it gets kind of hard after a while and exactly. you like dig into it and it yeah. develops some muscular endurance in your jaw. Mastic I've even seen muscles. One. Um, uh, I've seen machines rather where you take like a, a leather strap in your mouth mm-hmm. and you're hanging a piece of weight from it and you're, yeah. you're doing this like. Yeah. People were selling those for a while as a way to decrease rating of perceived exertion during exercise, exercise mouthpieces, and that the advertising on them was that the Vikings used to chew on leather before they'd go into battle to reduce pain and to increase their time to exhaustion. And so they actually sell these mouthpieces that you bite down on when mm-hmm. you're exercising. But they, they weren't designed to strengthen the jaw as much as to reduce how hard you felt like you were working during exercise. And some people swear by these exercise mouthpieces. Well, I know that the, mouthpieces... Um, supposedly can maximize the amount of effort that you can put forth. Like there's a difference in the amount of strength that you you can. You bite down. It's almost like when you shake somebody's hand, you make a fist with one hand, then you shake their hand, you're Mm -hmm. you're stronger. You know, and and that's that's something that Pavel Zatzalin talks about in his books, you know, about how to generate as much force as possible. Right. Close one fist. You know, even if you're going to do like a bottoms up kettlebell press, right, you can do it with one hand open and press. Then you close your hand and contract this fist and it's it's far easier. So what is the idea behind that? And it somehow it's, it's, energizes your entire no, it's, body. It's fascia. You know, they're, they're, your, your, your fascia covers your entire body. So if you tighten so. up one part of it, it causes you to be able to produce more force. So, I mean, try it sometime with a kettlebell mm. or, or water bottle or a coffee cup. Well, I always kind of, I flex my hand outward when I'm doing like bottoms up kettlebells. Yeah, but you flex your hand. Yeah, I definitely flex my hand. Yeah. I'd never just like let it sit. You know, there's always, right. there's always some tension right. it's, in it. It's, it's, it's full body tension. You know, it's, yeah. it's the same reason that you'll see a lot of tennis players or I think boxers do this too, a Valsalva maneuver when you strike. 
So you hold your breath, you go, mm, right yeah, when you stand that, sure. and the same thing, it tightens up everything yeah. and allows you to produce more force. Yeah. Um, the uh, the other gum, you mentioned the bazooka, there's a gum called mastic gum. And I mm. interviewed this guy, Dean Carnazes, who ran the, he did the 50 marathons in 50 days, and he, he ran the, the traditional marathon in Greece, which is apparently not 26.2 miles. It's like 100 and some miles that he ran. What? And he would chew this <laughs> mastic gum, which they do use for jaw strengthening, but it makes you produce more saliva too. So, so when you're running, you know, you can get dry mouth when you're running, and, and a lot of times you get, you know, you'll be thinking about food, you want to eat this Mastic gum apparently keeps your appetite satiated and allows you to produce saliva. And I bought some, and it's, it's see if you can find that shit. It's a, uh, I think I got it on, mastic uh, on gum. Amazon. Health it's benefits Greek. of mastic gum. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it, it looks huh. like. Little rocks. And the interesting thing is, is you can take it out after you're done chewing it, and then just like the next day, put it back in your mouth and keep. And you can chew that stuff for days. It's like a like an everlasting <laughs> gobstopper. What does it taste like? It tastes like ass. It's not. That, <laughs> it's not that good. But if you have this uh, this this H pylori issue, it's supposedly very good for that. Yeah, look that one. They back, added they added licorice the, um, and aniseed ugh. and fennel. So it tastes um, even shittier. <laughs> yeah, but but it's supposedly you know this idea that we we grow up on soft food and mm -hmm. babies eat eat soft food yeah you wouldn't want the capsule that would i mean the capsule would be good for your that's where you got to be careful is a lot of companies sell it as a capsule right as mastic gum as a capsule but you uh, want the actual gum that you chew on that's the exact one i have that crinos so there's mastic the extract gum. yeah yeah and that's that's the stuff that you actually chew <clears throat> to make your jaw stronger hmm. yeah. and to produce extra saliva huh and do you use this stuff when you work out, or you just occasionally chew it? Mm, no, I don't like to have gum in my mouth. You seem when I'm like you have out. so many different yeah. things going on and so many different modalities that you're experimenting with. There's no way you can. Yeah, possibly but that's that's my shtick, dude. That's what that's what I, I do is I try stuff and I write about it. It's not like it's not like I'm doing mastic gum and blanket powder and 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 injections all day long. And but I don't if the have mastic gum works. Yeah, I would think you'd keep doing it all the time, but it's just like you forget about a lot of stuff, though. <laughs> you try out so many things, you forget about it. They're like, oh yeah, I tried that out a while ago. It was pretty good. I need to order some more of that. So yeah, you start to I lose track of all the all the stuff I try. I don't have it all systematized in some big Excel spreadsheet. What are you doing with the exomes? Explain that because uh, I just got yeah. some shot into some tears that I have in my shoulders. You you and, got uh, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's exosomes exosomes exosomes. They're signaling molecules. So your body actually has them. Your, your cells have exosomes, and they're used as cell-to-cell -cell communicators. Mm -hmm. So they interact with cell surface receptors, and they'll actually carry a message from one cell to another, such as, you know, uh, you, know you, need to, you need to absorb this into the cell, or you need to carry this to a joint, or, you know, whatever you'd want to use an exosome for to carry messages throughout the body. It's part of your, I believe it's referred to as the paracrine system, right? your, your body's internal cellular communication system. So the idea is that if you combined the exosomes with other therapies, like, like uh, platelet-rich plasma injections, which you do for to increase the amount of growth factors what they available did to a specific joint. They did exosomes plus PRP with you, right? which I, 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 can, I can tell you the full procedure that I did, but I just got that all over my face. My face five days ago was red and swollen. Because it was covered with exosomes Why'd and TRP injections, face? it's a it's a beauty procedure. You're beautiful yeah. as you are. Thank you, thank you. You don't need but to now, change. But now I'm a beautiful 13 year old, not a beautiful 37 <laughs> year old. So the uh, the exosomes can be combined with other things like PRP and also with stem cells or with bone marrow, and that's what I did. And and the interesting thing is that. 
you can get something like a, a placental cell. Right? And in my case, they actually took placental cells from this lab called Chimera Labs. I had this procedure done in Park City, Utah. This guy named Dr. Harry Adelson. And he, he had these placental cells from Chimera Labs. They destroy the placental cell so that there's no actual DNA from some other person that you're putting into your body, right? Which is, which is the, that's considered to be part of the risk of stem cells. Even umbilical or amniotic, you're still getting somebody else's DNA into your body, not your own DNA. So the idea is that you would take exosomes that you've isolated from something like a placental tissue, and then you would mix those with your own stem cells. In this case, what I used was, uh, was bone marrow aspirate. They went into to both of my iliac crests. They took out the bone marrow. They mixed it with the exosomes. And, and these, these videos, I published both of the videos on YouTube, and, and it's like a... It's like a huge syringe full of go, blood. You, you go see to his drawing YouTube channel. You I'm going to see it this. drawing out of my hip. How much bone marrow and are they taking out of your hip? A lot. I was a lot. Well, I was out. You know, I was heavily sedated during the entire procedure. You know, it, well, not heavily sedated. I mean, it was, I was under. It, was, right. it wasn't general anesthesia. It's called full body sedation. Apparently, so it's, you're it's conscious? similar to general anesthesia with few of the risks of the actual anesthesia. Uh, I was not conscious. Not that I, I mean, all I remember is they said count from 100 down to zero. And I got to like 93 and then... I woke up. Yeah, exactly. So they took the bone marrow from the iliac crest, right, which is just like bone broth for your whole body. It's got collagen. It's got peptides. It's got stem cells. They mix it with the exosomes, which act as the cell-to-cell communicators from those placental cells, this place called Chimera Labs, which in my opinion is is just a great sexy name for some kind of a mysterious lab company where you buy placentas. Mm. So basically they, uh, they mix the exosomes. With the bone marrow, and then what they there did? Oh, yeah. See, that's what it looks like. That's in like. your ass. That yeah. That's, the, it out that's of your one ass, of the bro. iliac crests. You asked me how much Woo, they took. Look how much they're pulling out of you! Yeah. Holy shit! A lot that's of it. Bone but he, marrow. But he did that like four times because he did it twice Dude, to each hit. Are you fucking shitting me? This was five days ago. He told me I was supposed to not do anything for two weeks, but I did that Spartan race. I armored myself well, up. Why didn't you I listen to put, him? Well, I. Uh, I was signed up for the race, and I had sponsor obligations to oh, actually not. Dude, sponsors can together. suck my fat I, dick. I did because that you, looks like a fat dick they're pulling I, out of you. That's used, how big it is. I used like four rolls of rock tape. Dude. My entire body was just taped up because I didn't want to ruin anything that he'd done. So, anyways, how could he, what he mean, did? What do you mean by rock tape? What is rock tape? And kinesio tape. You've seen this stuff before. It's it's like what you see CrossFitters wearing, oh, and Olympians stuff, like wearing. When you have, yeah, like, tendonitis yeah. And it shit. supports it supports the joints. Oh Jesus, um, they're going in for another tube after they, they did, sucked they that did out. Four of those, four of those how, big tubes. How much, Jamie? This how much is, do you think you have in your body? You think you have four tubes of marrow floating around? Something I could pull out of you? I don't what. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but well, the, the tubes also. You know this when you yeah, give this blood, crazy, you can dude. give like nineteen tubes of blood, but it's not as much blood as it actually looks like because it's inside of that little skinny tube. Right. No, I so, get that. So he and his partner seems like quite a lot. What they did was he went with with that bone marrow, dude, mixed with the exosomes. They mix it with ozone, which apparently using an ozonator, which apparently increases the efficacy of the bone marrow. And you're doing this for no specific injury. No specific injury. No, this is all just for, well, for two reasons. Number one, anti-aging. Number two, just immersive journalism, mm-hmm. just to write about. Right, it. I right. think this stuff's fun to write about and look into right. and study. So, and Jesus. and apparently these stem cells stay available. So, to a, this this is an over exaggeration, but it's almost like you'd be like Wolverine, or like you recover faster when you mm-hmm. get hurt for the rest of your life. 
So here he goes, and, um, pulling out round two. Yeah, yeah for people who are listening to the audio and not watching the video. It's like uh, a horse dick. They're yeah, pulling a horse dick it's out a, of him. It's a lot of blood. And uh, then he injected my entire musculoskeletal system. He did my cerebral spinal fluid. He did all up and down the discs Jesus. in my back. He did, yeah. Whoa, daddy. Yeah, and you, got, are you conscious here? I've got needles. No, dude, I'm totally out. I would yeah, not want to yeah. be conscious. For, I was just box breathing, yeah. I was meditating. Um, well, because no, I'm, I've had I'm totally out for this. Done and you can like see there this. I have I have the Iron Man corporate logo on my back. Is that so what I, that is? I did yeah. I'm, technically that's trademark infringement. It's the Iron Man logo. I they had um done in my uh spine like yeah. that and bulging discs yeah. while I was awake. It just so, feels weird. They just it just yeah, like I've, an increase. I've done in a pressure. lot of this stuff before. I mean I I had my I told you this last time I had my stem cells taken out of the fat in my back down in Florida. Yeah. And then uh I re-injected them intravenously, and then I tested Ooh, my telomere look length. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Yeah. They just... Oh, this goes on for hours, dude. And like, so, I was there for, for three or four hours. So they just procedure. screw it in and pump yeah. those in, uh-huh. and then find a new hole. Yeah. This is, you're totally out cold while I'm totally out cold. My wife's in there freaking out. She can see her somewhere in there holding Fucking the camera. Fucking she was, she was doing a Facebook Live and answering questions as we went. Jesus! So then, so get this, his partner comes in, she takes those same exosomes... After he does ankles, knees, hips, elbows, wrists, back, every part of my, they flip me over. While my you're out cold. Yeah, my wife said that was the that was the weirdest part was they flipped me over and you're I was moving. just limp like a noodle. I think she's moving my hand. See that? So uh, then his partner came in and she's like a, a sexual performance and beauty specialist. And I don't want this to turn into another podcast about just injecting things into your dick. But, but she did, uh, yeah, but she did... Uh, <laughs> She she injected the the corpus cavernosum, which is the the shaft of your unit, and then she did the head of the penis, and then she did. Uh, yeah. Dude, what are they then doing to your did, face then, here, man? Then she did my face over and over and over again, everywhere, exosomes all over my face, and uh, I've seen some fifty and sixty year old women who have done this, and it actually does seem to have a pretty significant effect. I don't. I don't know how much of an effect it had on me, but I said if they were going to put me under just, he called it a full body stem cell makeover. Apparently nobody's ever in the history of the world done this before. Oh my so God, dude. So if I, if I die, that's the one thing I can brag about. You look um, great. This is what I understand. You, you yeah. don't need this shit. No, a lot of the, well, like I said, You're a lot, a lot, a lot of this stuff here. is, uh, it's, it's interesting to write stories about and to talk about mm. and tell people what it's like. I get the, it. um, and then they did, uh, yeah, they did that on the face. What are they doing on your face here? And uh, that's is, that's the that? that's exosomes mixed with PRP. And what that is that they inject device all into the face. that you're doing it with? What is that thing? I don't remember because I wasn't awake. Right, but, but it's, it's, it looks like a, yeah, like it's got I, little needles I, all over it. I think it. it might be like some kind of like dermal abrasion type of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. Fucking your face up, man. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was a few days ago, and How many I days? feel like I healed five days ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I healed up pretty quickly. That's from crazy it. because yeah. five I, days ago I had, was I when had, I was doing my I had to exosomes. Wear a, oh, great minds think alike, dude. That's yeah. that is crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah. What yeah. actually, what day is it today? I had, no, it's Tuesday. So this was actually this no seven Mine seven was days six. ago. Seven days ago. Mine was yeah. Wednesday. Um. Anyways, though, <sighs> they're fucking your face up. Son. Yeah. Woo. And I had I actually had just gotten a, a concussion because I got in a bike accident when I was down in Austin, Texas, a couple of weeks ago. And so the other thing that I did, this is interesting because you, you, with, for a TBI, there's all sorts of things that you can do, right? Like ketones, exogenous ketones work really well for that. 
and that's a lot of Dominique D'Agostino's research on concussions. Uh, DHA is another good one. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy chambers, right, with the, with the high oxygen plus the high pressure. That's really efficacious for concussions. But the other thing is stem cells. And so what I did was I ordered the stem cells that they harvested from my body in Florida. Because I, I think I told you about that the last time when I was on the show. Mm -hmm. they, they store, I have like 30 injections of my own stem cells stored down in Florida that I can use for, for joints, for anti-aging. And I also, one of the reasons that I did that was if I'm ever in a car accident, if I ever get some, some traumatic injury, I can, I can heal myself faster with these stem cells. And, and that happened. I got a concussion. I was riding my bike in Austin on, on First Street in, in rush hour traffic, and a car clipped me on the side. And it, you know, I made love to the pavement. My entire face got torn open, and, uh, and I got a concussion. So I did all these things, you know, ketones, DHA, hyperbaric, um, uh, PEMF. That's also really, really good What's for that? concussions. Pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it, it's uh, used for anti-inflammatory uh, for uh, it's it's used for sleep. You know, it's kind of like grounding and earthing. There's a lot of interesting studies on PEMF, also for concussion. Uh, it enhances your own stem cell production. And it shuts down neural inflammation. So I did that, but then also uh, stem cells won't cross your blood-brain barrier. So I ordered up this stuff called mannitol. And if you inject mannitol into your bloodstream, it increases your blood-brain barrier permeability. So this is what you do in a, in a fighter, a football player, somebody gets a concussion. You inject with mannitol first, and then you follow that up with a stem cell injection. If the mannitol is already in the bloodstream, the stem cells cross the blood-brain barrier, and they go in to heal neural tissue. Would the exosomes cross the blood-brain barrier because they're smaller they're than very stem small. cells? They're very small. I, yeah. I think they're like 100 to 200 nanometers, which is pretty small. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if they cross the blood-brain barrier mm. as well. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that they were saying about stem cells versus exosomes is that stem cells tend to get pooled up in the lungs. They, mm -hmm. they, they don't pass the lungs and they get absorbed right. there. And they believe that the exosomes being released by these stem cells mm -hmm. are the, the reason why you generate and regenerate tissue. They think that going straight to exosomes is going to be more efficacious than just going with stem cells I th themselves. I think that some pharmaceutical company or some supplement company is going to make a lot of money in the next 10 years by figuring out a way to to make exosomes or figure out you know some some way to to do it in a way that is more available to the general population than you know harvesting it from placentas and you know some crazy right. lab. So you, you know, weren't overseas, supposed to do anything so. for two weeks. Not for two weeks, but I asked the doc. You know, I told him I was going to do a Spartan right. race. He said, he said, "Proceed at your own risk." And what and would be the that. risk? And, and my plan: apparently, if you jar the joints a lot when they're already kind of weak from the surgery, you can risk tearing a ligament, spraining, straining, doing damage to a muscle that that's kind of weak and lax from the but, surgery. From the surgery, so, but is it a really a surgery? Because yeah. they're not cutting no, you open. The the, the injections. Procedure. And I I sprained my ankle within a few hours after after waking up from the surgery. Like I, I just kind of stumbled, and it was extremely lax, you know, almost like a like a pregnant woman creates this hormone called relaxin, right? And they get more flexible and they're able to give birth more quickly. It's kind of that same idea is the really? joints, the joints and the ligaments become more lax. So my whole body felt a little bit more like, like Gumby. That's what, that was why I taped up everything. You know, I had knee braces on and elbow braces and wrist braces and I felt fine during the race. And this but, whole procedure was how many hours? It was about four hours. Four hours was, out uh, cold, yeah. shooting yeah. you up. Yeah. What does it feel like yeah. when you wake up? Oh, there's a pretty funny video I posted. I, I, I thought it was funny. I was trying to speak French. I told my <laughs> wife, I'm like, I have a confession to make. And the doctor's like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> and I'm like, I speak French. 
And then she, and then she asked me if I speak French and I I didn't actually speak French. And then you could see me trying to laugh like I'd made a joke. But you just out. Have you ever been sedated? Yes. Yeah. 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 You're, you're kind of loopy. Yeah. Makeup. Yeah. So I don't remember that much, but, uh, and, and I still, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't notice much of a difference from any of this stuff. Well, it's supposed to take six weeks. Yeah. It's supposed to take a long time before it really kicks in and it flares up old injuries. Right, like really? I strained my upper hamstring when I played tennis, and that's flared up. Uh, my left knee is flared up. Like I'm feeling old injuries that, flared that up. almost that's interesting. They almost like brought back, not flared up like it's red and inflamed and swollen, but I feel it. I yeah. feel it. my right ankle, which I strained a lot when I was when I was playing tennis. That one feels, you know, it feels like I mentioned it's weak. It's painful. And they told I you that this it. was going to be something. They that said could... that it could flare up old injuries. That you'd feel worse before you'd feel better. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't hear that at all. Yeah. Um, but I did hear that six weeks. Six mm-hmm. weeks is the, the benchmark. Yeah. It's it's a little bit of feeling. time before you actually feel better. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting one uh, for uh, not only enhancing your own endogenous stem cell production, because it, it actually would, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's fringe. It's expensive. I mean, you know, that procedure, I think, is like a $30,000 procedure. Not everybody's going to go out and do that. And this is another fringe one, but I want to, I mean, there are ways that you can endogenously increase your own stem cell production. I mean, and and your own stem cell viability and health without actually doing stem cell injections. Um, Fasting is probably the the one that's the most efficacious. And a lot of these things that are kind of uncomfortable for you seem to increase your body's ability to be able to heal or produce Mm. its own stem cells. So fasting for long periods of time. Um, Not necessarily fasting with with caloric uh, restriction. That's the mistake a lot of people make. They try to fast and they feel like crap. But the idea is the benefits of fasting don't come from not eating a lot of calories. Not eating a lot of calories isn't that great for your thyroid. It's not great for your metabolism. You don't want to live till you're, you know, 120 and be cold and, and thin and hungry the whole time because that'd be a horrible way to live a long time. So the idea with you know things like uh, you know Walter Longo's research or a lot of these these uh, intermittent fasting type of diets is you fast and you increase cellular autophagy and stem cell production, your own stem cell production, by going for long periods of time without eating, and the magic seems to kick in at about the 16-hour mark. So I do 12 to 16 hours every day, and then you get even more benefit once you get up to about 24 hours. So I try to do a 24-hour fast from Saturday dinner to Sunday dinner, but I'm still eating the same number of calories. It's just a compressed feeding window, mm. right? So, so it's not like you're starving yourself. You're getting all the benefits of fasting, but you're still maintaining some amount of anabolism, right? Because you're, you're still eating as many calories, but you're, you're almost giving your body, your gut and your metabolism a break in between a lot of these meals. Mm, and that's where yeah. the benefit comes from. That's where the ben- the benefits are not from, you know, not eating so much damn food. The benefits are going for a long time in between your feedings, right? So, so the idea is, you know, you'd, you'd wake up and, and in the, the population for which this seems to be the most deleterious are lean active females. They do not respond well to these long fasts or a lot of time spent doing intermittent fasting. It's like the cons outweigh the pro hmm. for that population. But for, for most everybody else, these 12 to 16 hour fasts, preferably up to 16 hours going without eating and then eating as many calories as you'd normally eat. With the so do exception, you compress the the amount of calories. It's a, it's a compressed feeding window, right? So, um, you know, what the guy whose house I was staying with when I was doing the stem cell procedure, Dan Pomp, he's very into this stuff, and and he's he's a doctor down in uh, um, uh, Park City, 
and he just he goes all day and then he has a huge dinner at the end of the mm. day right like a an enormous lovely dinner you know a couple glasses of wine and you know steak thousands and sweet of potatoes calories. And, yeah meal. like 3000 calories for dinner and i'm more of like a two meal uh, you know, light breakfast or light lunch, and then just two meals. I've been doing the 12 to 14 hour thing, and sometimes I've ramped it up to 16 hours, and I, I do feel better when I do that. And I, I definitely uh, become more accustomed to not eating for long stretches. And sometimes yeah. when I wake up in the morning, I almost think, should I just eat? But I, then I'll stop and go, well, I'm not really hungry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just a matter of habit, a force of habit that I'm even considering eating right now. Yeah. Yeah, but but fasting is probably one of the better ways to increase your own endogenous stem cell production, provided you're going for about 16 hours and provided you're still eating as many calories as you'd normally eat. The only kind of caveat to that would be protein cycling. Right? This is why I'm not a huge fan of the, the carnivorous diet where you're eating four to six pounds of meat a day. Yeah, you were um, um, trying that for a while. You were putting that on your social mm, media, I, sort I, of, but you had some I vegetables was sort, mixed I was in. eating one of those big steaks. Every single night for dinner, just like a bunch of steak every single night for dinner. For how long? And this was like 10 days, not that long. How'd you feel yeah. doing that? I felt pretty good, but uh, but I love steak. I was eating these bone-in uh, bone ribeyes. I ordered them up from uh, uh, Missouri, I think is where their farms are, but they make these uh, French-cut, grass-fed, grass-finished, bone-in ribeye steaks. I'm getting hungry, there. just saying that. Dude, Getting I've got. Excited. I've remind me. I'll tell you how I cook them. Maybe I'll tell you how I cook them after after we finish the science Why, of, of the carnivore okay. diet. Because because <laughs> I don't want to get. Because I'll I'll just forget everything if I start talking about cooking. Okay. I, so I love to, to I love to prepare meat. So so real. Because I know quite a few people that are doing yeah. this now. So real quick, and then we'll talk about how to make these steaks taste really good. Um, the the idea is that protein cycling, right, having a meatless Monday or having, as a lot of religions would do, like the, the Eastern Orthodoxy Church or the Mediterranean diet, they have certain periods of time where there's complete meat restriction or your protein intake is restricted to, to fish and eggs, for example. And the idea is that you would strike a sweet spot between not being in a constantly anabolic state Right. And, and not having having this uh, mammalian target of rapamycin constantly activated, which would theoretically accelerate aging or, or in, in a lot of you know, rodent models. We see that, you know, unrestricted protein feeding actually causes aging to accelerate. So the idea is on your lower activity days, especially for an athlete, you could still intermittent fast and get all the benefits of that. And you could still eat as many calories as you would need to sustain a normal, healthy metabolism, right? So, so you're not starving yourself, but on the less active days, you would shift to a lower protein intake, right? So you're talking about like 0.5 grams per pound of body weight rather than what a typical athlete would need, which would be, depending on who you ask, you know, 0.7 to 0.85 grams per pound of body weight, right? So, so there's some days where you're high protein, some days where you're low protein, some periods of the week, such as a meatless Monday, or some periods of the year, you know, such as every quarter, you know, for a week where you're eating a plant-based diet or you're restricting meat. You're basically giving your body a break from being in that constant anabolic state. And I think that the, the carnivore diet causes a lot of people to miss out on some of those elements. And then if you look at the blood work of, uh, um, you know, a doctor who does Sean the carnivore Baker. diet, he publishes blood work online. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what else is, is going on with him from a health standpoint, but, but, you know, he had really high blood glucose and really low testosterone and some things that suggest that it might not be healthy to eat just meat, you know, and, and did he have even, really low testosterone? That's interesting. It was like 200 to 300. It was pretty, really? It's pretty low. It was like, that's it's like, really low. Yeah. Diagnosable hypogonadism combined with, uh, 
uh, you know, almost like borderline diabetes. Did, right? did he, and, is it possible that he did it after a workout? Uh, he does a lot of uh, rowing. I'm not sure, like real high would suppress your testosterone that significantly. It would increase your HSCRP and your inflammatory markers, right? Which is why you mm-hmm. never want to you never want to go to a doctor for a heart checkup after you've done a workout because they're going to tell you you're going to have a heart attack based on the levels of HSCRP. Right. But at, you know it, that blood work is just one example, and I don't want to pretend like that one example you know is going to going to paint with a broad brush the entire right. carnivore diet phenomenon. But I just I think that unrestricted protein intake and unrestricted meat intake probably has an accelerated aging effect on the body. And well, here's the difference. Dr. Ron Rosedale is a doc who has some good information on that. He's got a good video online. What's going on with this carnivore diet is there's no science behind it. There's a lot of people that are giving it a shot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are finding good results. But I find that yeah. people, when they just change things, there's a period of time where they say they feel great. And I, that is absolutely mm-hmm. 100% a placebo effect. It's the same thing as like a vegan diet. You feel fantastic. Right. And you know, name me. Well, name me one population, one blue zone that eats meat like and nothing else. Right? And there's there's actually very few centenarians who are purely vegan for their entire life, because you can, if you don't do it the right way, build up fatty acid deficits, amino acid deficits, creatine is one you mm-hmm. don't get, vitamin B12, uh, DHA. But at least it's uh, been studies taurine. on vegans. Right. There's been a lot of studies on vegans, and th- we know that if you eat uh, like E3 Live, you mm-hmm. you know you, you oh you can you can supplement. There's yeah. a lot of really smart vegans. I mean, there's guys like yeah. Rich Roll, right? Like they do things the right way, right? right. It's it's laborious. It's, it's a lot easier to just it's eat a piece of meat, right? Yeah, it's very to, to, to get some of the B12 and some right. of the other amino acids you're trying to free up by right. soaking and sprouting and fermenting, right. which my wife does a lot of. It, it, but I watch her like she she's in the kitchen like three hours a day making vegetables bioavailable. Is you know, it vegan? takes her hours to make sourdough bread, you know, to actually make a bread where the gluten is pre-digested and it's actually healthy and the glycemic index is lower. She's not vegan. She's just a rancher girl and she likes to do you know, kind of we, stuff we have like goats and chickens and, and we eat meat. But she she's very into like an ancestral preparation of vegetables, you mm-hmm. know, deactivating a lot of these these stressors that Dr. Stephen Gundry talks about. And you know, before we podcast, we we're talking about Tom Brady and how he does like a no nightshade, no tomato, no potato. You know, and and I'd rather eat those things, but actually figure out a way to render them more digestible and mm. friendlier to the human body. Yeah, that's the uh, other thing too. When people talk about food that has protein in it. Um, you know, like broccoli has so much protein. True. Not really bioavailable, you eat though. a shit ton of broccoli. Yeah. It's yeah. just not the same. Your body yeah. doesn't absorb it the same way it does a grass-fed ribeye steak. Yeah. Your body absorbs that protein instantly. It exactly. knows exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah. By the way, there, there was a study that just came out about stem cells. They found that carnosine, which you find in copious amounts in, in a grass-fed ribeye steak, with blueberry extract enhanced your stem cell production. I mean, it was a hugely significant number. I don't remember the exact percentage, but but this combination of polyphenols and flavanols mm. with meat is a good combo. That's why when I did the carnivore diet, or not the carnivore diet, that's why I was when I was eating meat, I was doing lots of salads. I was doing lots of, I, I had like wild blueberry extract powder. Mm. I had these vegetable powders. You know, I was doing a lot of big salads for lunch. Flavanols, polyphenols, any of that. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the high saturated fat diet. A high saturated fat diet, like the whole coconut oil thing, is highly inflammatory in the absence of plant polyphenols and flavanols, which is why if you're doing a high fat ketotic diet, 
it needs to be a plant-rich, high-fat ketotic diet. Otherwise, avocados, it's inflammatory. things along those lines. You can get a lot of your fats well, from I avocados. mean, avocados, yes, but I'm talking about more like, you know, doing you know, coconut oil and butter and, you know, your avocado chocolate pudding and all these things, you know, your, your ketogenic fat bombs and all these recipes that are out there. But, but you got to eat a spinach. lot. you got to eat a lot of plants. Right. And even in the animal kingdom, you, know, you see animals when they rip up another animal, like a carnivorous animal, they're eating the intestines and mm-hmm. they're eating a lot of the organs that are chock full of what? Grass, right. plants. Sure. herbs, whatever that omnivorous animal that the carnivorous animal is eating. Pre-digested so, exactly. in a lot of cases. Exactly. Um, when you're talking about carnivorous diets, uh, the, the real issue that I have with it is there's almost no research. Other than Dr. Baker doing those uh, tests on himself, which yeah. according to you are not very promising. I, didn't, I have some I friends that are great. trying it. Um, my friend uh, Jordan Peterson, his daughter had some serious anti, uh, some serious um, uh, immune system uh, issues, autoimmune disorders. And uh, like to the point where she's had a, she's, I believe she's like 30, 31. Mm. She's had a hip replaced. She's about to get uh, one of her uh, ankles replaced. Like serious arthritis, real problems. The only yeah. thing that's been able to clear that up is meat. Yeah. Just a pure meat diet. Right. So it, with some people, but she I, might I, have some I, I wouldn't say outrageous allergic reaction to plants. I mean, right. there might be something I in her. I don't think the meat wasn't the medicine, no, no, probably no. the elimination exactly. of whatever she that's eliminated. What I'm saying. Yeah. She might have some sort of a, uh, a real serious problem, uh, some sort of um, uh, allergic reaction to some plants yeah. or to gluten and uh, yeah. maybe a bunch of different things. That's the way things. a lot of these diets are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the elimination, yes. not, not the magic of just yeah. eating meat. I mean, but Sean Baker keeps going on and on about how meat heals and meat this and meat that, all carnivorous diet, and, you know, all these people are trying yeah. it. Like, man. It's got a lot of good stuff going for it, but but restriction of plant matter, in my opinion, long term is not a good idea. And eating meat all the time long term is not necessarily a good idea. And eating only plants with the absence of some meat-based protein is for a lot of populations not that great of an idea. Yeah, well, that's and, the point is that yeah. for most people – you're going to have to experiment a little bit to figure out what works best for you. And there are people that, especially if you use E3 Live and algae and get your B12 vitamins and your fat-soluble vitamins, you can live off a vegan diet. It can be done, but you mm-hmm. really have to be careful about it. Mm-hmm. But then there's other people where they can't. And, and, and you really have to figure out what the fuck is going on it's with your own too. body. The but whole... this carnivore thing, to me, is kind of tweaking me out because I just don't... It's like they, they start talking about the... the, the the, the, the poisons and phytotoxins and all these things that are in plants that are bad for you. I'm like, okay. But a, the, the, the issue with that is... mild hormetic exercise is bad for you. Sunlight's bad exactly. for you. All that stuff can kill you because it's a hormetic stressor. Is that your body yeah. responds to that in a positive way. They even show that some of the, some of the rodents outside of Chernobyl are living longer from the radiation. And I'm mm. not saying like go go move your cabin out next Maybe to a nuclear move. disaster website, but the idea is that's a hormetic stressor, right? right? Like mild amounts of UVA and UVB yes. every day. I yes. actually every single day I do cold, every single day I do hot. If I'm not in the sauna, then I'm wearing more clothes than I would normally wear when I go to the gym to get my get my heart rate up and right. actually get myself into the discomfort of hot for the mm-hmm. heat shock protein and the nitric oxide, everything else that, that does for you and then the discomfort of cold because it's a hormetic stressor. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're doing tests right now at Harvard so for hot yoga. Yeah. They're trying to figure out if hot yoga has the same hermetic stress response as um, sauna because they know there's been quite a oh, bit of work done I mean, on it's, sauna. It's very equivalent physiologically. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, yeah. that's when what you're I in do there. is hot. I don't do the full choreographed 90 minute Bikram yoga. But I have one of these big saunas. It's like a, it's a four-person sauna, mm-hmm. and if I go in there by myself, I can do freaking you know down dog and push-ups. Yeah. And I take these uh, these Katsu blood flow restriction devices in there and do push-ups and squats. Mm. And th- those are the research behind those for muscle maintenance with body weight training. It's very intriguing. I travel with them everywhere. These these Katsu training devices, and I just you know tie them like tourniquets around my arms, mm-hmm. around my legs, and they do a lot of studies in seniors for muscle maintenance without the need for as much joint impact. But what happens is you get micro damage to the capillaries, you get a big release of lactic acid, which causes you to produce more growth hormone after the workout. I mean, in my opinion, for body weight training, like at this point, Katsu training, like doubles the yeah effectiveness i've, I've heard of that like before that. i haven't yeah. really gotten into it but i'm, I'm yeah. very big on the sauna to the point where obviously we have one here at the studio that i use all the time yeah i just think it's uh, you know it's those stressors that they're talking about as being a negative thing with eating vegetables i just don't, i don't buy it i just don't buy it. people have been eating vegetables forever i don't in think they're bad excess for you. or in people like your friend with the immune system mm-hmm. issue or in people with leaky gut or damn there might be a period of time where you actually have to be careful and really careful right. with with gluten which is a digestive stressor uh, and again even that in small amounts is probably good for you they've even shown that kids who get gluten restricted when they're kids wind up having more issues with gluten later on in mm-hmm. life because their guts might be weaker right, right. right but but yeah lectins and plant phytochemicals and a lot of things that plants use to poison mammals or to cause their their seeds to be undigested and pass out through the digestive tract and the stool of the mammals they can grow elsewhere a lot of that stuff really is it, you know it, 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 it makes you stronger you ever you know, had that coffee Kopi luat you ever had that stuff? Is that is that the weasel? That's the stuff. Coffee. Yeah, the the yeah. cat, the lemur got, eats the coffee and shits it out, and then they take the coffee and sell it at this outrageous rate. It's actually yeah. delicious. It ferments in the it's digestive tract. It's smooth coffee, man. Yeah. It's very nice. But there's, you're, you're eating one lemur that shit. Elephants do too. Oh, it's wow. black black ivory coffee. I'll try that shit. Yeah. but I don't want to yeah. like support the elephant. I don't give the, a fuck about lemurs. You know, I feel I don't. It's a lemur? I think it's a lemur. Harvesting coffee beans from elephant poop sounds far more laborious than, than harvesting Why? You get a giant weasels chunk. or lemurs. It's true. You just hose it you down. You get better bang for your buck. Yeah, you know, lemurs, I'm, tiny I don't little know, turds. but one little, it's like a needle in a haystack, right? If it's just a few coffee beans and well, a giant pile of elephant shit. You get jacked yeah. up, coffeed yeah. up. Yeah. Elephants then you out got hyper elephants like crazy. Ch- chasing you as you're digging through their shit, chasing you through the field. Plus, they probably but, shit like crazy, just like a person does yeah. when you eat coffee. Yeah, give them some Elthian. Uh, there it is. What's, there it is. Those are t- coffee turds. That's that's almost like a bunch of coffee beans with a few pieces of turd thrown in. Yeah, look at that. that Bam, son. Their stool that's is almost completely Balinese coffee Luat beans. coffee. So they just feed them nothing but coffee and they shit it out. Sort of like mm. we shit out corn. And yeah. we can't really digest it properly. Yeah. There's a fermentation process that makes the bean taste better. My problem but, with the carnivore diet is my is the same problem that I have with the vegan diet. Is it? I don't think they're being scientific or objective about it. I they're think being it dogmatic. Turns into, it's, it becomes an ideology. Yeah. And the ideology is, is the meat meat heals and meats this and meats that and meat is the the thing. And like, no, meat is one part of a good diet, yeah. one part of a healthy diet. And again, for some people, there's some people that have... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the Lone Star Tick. You know about that, right? What about it? 
Do you know about meat allergies? No. Lone Star Tick is a tick that bites people and gives them an allergy to red meat. It's horrible for a guy I'm, like you I'm or assuming a guy like this me. is like a Texas Yes, yes, yeah. but it's spreading. It's spreading across the country. See, all we have up in my land is, is a ticks that as long as you get them off within 24 hours, that doesn't allow them to produce the saliva that would make them release their hold on your skin, and it's that that produces yellow fever, mm, not okay. the actual tick bite itself. So you don't get a lot of lime up where I'm at, but I've never heard of this Lone well, Star Well, lime tick. is much more prevalent on the East Coast. But, it uh, is. It's starting to make so. its way out here. There have been some lime cases out here in California, yeah. but this Lone Star tick is um, it's a real problem, and it's giving people... It's something called... Um, Alpha-gal, alpha, alpha, short for alpha-gal. Uh, Alpha-galactidose. Alpha yeah, that's yeah, it. It's that, like a sugar. So here it is. It makes yeah. you allergic to hot dogs. Alpha-galactose. Yeah, alpha Alpha-1,3-galactose. Alpha-gal is the most mammalian cell membrane, so the allergy doesn't extend to non-mammalian meat. Poultry mm. and seafood are all fine, which is really interesting. Hmm. Um, so you you can't. You, once you get this shit, you're just you're allergic to this alpha galactose. But you could eat ape and human meat, according to the article. Yeah, so not, you're not allergic to those. I wonder so if you, you could eat pig. A, I wonder if pork. Well, mammalian. Doubt it. So yeah. you could eat ape meat. Yeah. So if you but, want to go to the jungle and have what they call right. bush yeah. meat, crazy. Okay, speaking of meat, ribeye steaks. Yeah, this this, this is how to make these ribeye steaks taste really good. Okay. So. What what I do on on the rub is like a really coarse salt. I use a salt called Kalima salt. Super high in minerals. Really it's like kosher it's salt. Coarse. No, it's different. They harvest it from the Mexican coast, and, and it tastes fabulous. It's really good. What's it called? The only again? salts I travel with and Spell? use is Kalima salt, and then this stuff C-A-L-I-M-A? called C O L I M A and black Kona salt. Black Kona salt from from, from Kona from Hawaii. Yeah, I use that when I cook some of the meat from Hawaii just because it seems right yeah, it to right. use salt from, 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 yeah. the, from the volcanoes in Hawaii. Yeah. So, and I rub uh, cayenne, black pepper, salt, and then to reduce the, the carcinogens that can form when you cook meat, either thyme or rosemary or both. I just rub Thyme that. or rosemary reduces carcinogens? Yeah, they're, they're From the they're charring? Antioxidants. The yeah, they reduce, they reduce mm. the formation of, uh, I think they call them polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons these these you know things that form on the meat when you blacken the meat because you want to get a, a good crisp sear on the right. outside of the meat so it's nice and crunchy on the outside so you restrict a lot of the the unhealthy effects of doing that when you get some kind of an herb in there like that so you take out the meat you get it to room temperature you put this rub in and you take a cast iron skillet so i don't do it on the grill at all it's cast iron skillet you heat up the cast iron skillet in the oven and then you take it out of the oven and you put it on the stovetop you put the stovetop on medium high and I either use an extra virgin olive oil. Uh, I've used lard before. Why do you um, use vo- olive oil when it has a, a low flash point? It gives me a good pl- No, extra virgin olive oil has a bunch of antioxidants in it. So right, it's actually but it got, burns easy. It has mm-hmm. higher resistance to the heat. It's never burnt. Wow. Never an issue. It doesn't burn. doesn't smoke. But I, when they sear things, well, that's one thing they tell you is never use olive oil. Well, I use extra virgin olive oil. I'm part of an olive oil club, so maybe it's because I have really good <laughs> olive oil. They ship me three bottles of olive oil every quarter from well, a different Google part that. of the world. Let's find that out yeah. because I've really read don't cook things at high heat with olive oil. Look it up. Even extra virgin olive oil. At this point, all I can tell you is this shit that's works. That's how you do it. This is this speaking. He, you're saying high heat. He said medium heat, and this says medium heat too. So maybe mm. that's the difference: is the high heat. Medium maybe, heat. but when you're yeah. searing, I would assume that is kind of a mm. high so, heat. So, so it's it's not on there for very long. 
anyways, extra virgin mm. olive oil into the pan. You heat up the olive oil, and you, know, you, you, you put it on for maybe two minutes max on the cast iron skillet. You heat up the olive oil. Then you put the steak on, and you do exactly for a perfect medium rare, three and a half minutes one side, three and a half minutes the other side. Then you take it out, How and this is where steaks? you get, they're probably about that thick. What is that? So that's an that, inch that's and a half? Oh, yeah, we're on audio. It's yeah. about yeah, an inch and a half. <laughs> so anyways, the um, it's like when you asked me on the last podcast how big my dick got after I injected it with stem <laughs> yeah, cells. About that big. <laughs> about that big. So anyways, the uh, then, then you put it into the oven. You take that entire cast iron skillet, you put the oven on broil, and you broil it for one minute on one side, and then you turn it over and you do one minute on the other side. And then you take it out of the oven and you finish it with butter. Meaning when you take it out of the oven, you just take the steak off the cast iron skillet, shove it aside, just put it on a plate, whatever. And you take a pat of butter and you can infuse the butter, right? You, you can you can use like garlic infused butter, but I just use a plain old grass fed butter. You put a pat of butter on the skillet. You let the butter just get to the point where it's melted a little bit and it's not super brown. You put the steak back on top of the butter, put the burner back on and you finish it one minute each side let mm. it off let it rest three or four minutes that technique is the best technique for the most perfect steak mm. that you'll ever have it sounds if, very if good it's really good that sounds very good it's really good mostly what i do is the reverse sear method with a pellet grill i keep it at about 250 degrees you ever use a pellet grill mm -mm. what i like about pellet grills is you're getting we had a pellet essentially stove when i was just, up uh similar horrible you're, you're essentially getting hardwood that's compressed. So mm -hmm. what when they cut hardwood, like for uh, this table, they would take the oak and the sawdust, they would compress into these small pellets. And there's a bunch of different companies. Uh, Traeger's a, a good one. They, they, they make one that I've you can... I've heard they have good grills. Yeah, they have good grills. And they also make one that you could use with an app. What I like about it is you can control the temperature completely with your phone. There's a thing called a Timberline. It's one of their new ones. Um, so anyway, mm. you, you get these compressed pellets, and they go into a hopper, and then there it is right there. That's a, uh, what kind is that mm. one, a woodwind? Yeah, so see that's, how what the pellets, pellet, that's what our pellet stove looked like when I was growing up. So the pellets go into the hopper, and then at the bottom, there's a, a gear, like a worm drive, that feeds the pellets yep. into that fire at the bottom comes from an element. So the element, and then there's a fan. So once it's lit, the element shuts off, and then the fire is stoked by this fan, and it's all temperature controlled, like very, very precisely. One of the good things, what I like about this Traeger that I've seen, is that it seals up like a... Um, like mm. a Yeti cooler. Like it's very insulated and thick, so it's really good at retaining the perfect temperature. And again, you can do it on your phone. So I get it to 250 degrees. Um, then mostly what I'm cooking is wild game, low mm -hmm. fat content. Mm -hmm. And so you don't you want to make sure you don't dry it out. Yeah, so I exactly. cook it at a low temperature. I'm cooking it at 250 degrees. I get it to an internal temperature of 120. Mm -hmm. Then once it hits 120, I pull it out. And you got to open up the grill to test your internal temp. No, I have, just, no now. I have a wireless. I have a wireless. Oh, you have a wire. Yeah. yeah a wire, yeah. Uh, wireless thermometer that's connected to it and that's yep. outside the, so I can yep. always see it. And that's it, like what my dry aging fridge has. Yeah. And it's also, it le lets me know, it, it gives me a beep when it hits 120 so I know right. to go and get it. So oh, I pull is, it out of there. It is highly technical. Yes. Then and I pull advanced. it out of there and I use a cast iron skillet as well but I, yeah. I cook with grass fed butter. Mm -hmm. So I take the cast iron skillet, I put it probably same temperature, medium mm -hmm. high heat and again when I've got the steak on the, on the grill itself, I'm using sea salt and 
crushed black pepper and garlic powder. That's what I usually use. Mm-hmm. No and black ant extract? No, no. Uh, I'm going to try okay. it now, though. Okay. Um, so then I take it off of there, and then uh, I use grass-fed butter in the cast iron skillet. Once it's heated up, I sear it on uh, both sides for about a minute and a half, and then I let it rest, depending if I'm ambitious. Sometimes I'll let it rest. I'll cover it with aluminum foil and put it in a Yeti cooler, and I'll let it sit in that Yeti cooler for about 10 minutes. And I pull it out, and it is just It's not too cold fantastic. after 10 minutes? It's in the Yeti so cooler. right now. It's in the Yeti cooler. The Yeti cooler can maintains we, the temperature hot steaks? and low. We should <laughs> have my wife bring steaks. <laughs> just text Get out of the we shopping have, mall. Bring us steaks. a Yoder, a Yoder pellet grill in the back of the cast iron pan. Yeah. I mean, that's the reverse sear method. The idea is that I'm cooking it to a perfect internal temperature of 120 degrees, which will raise both in the Yeti... Or, the Yeti cooler, and also from the searing on the outside. So once I get the cast iron pan heated up to yep. me- medium-high heat, I throw that butter in there, and I sear the shit out of the outside for, again, about a minute and a half both sides, mm. wrap it in foil, put it in the Yeti cooler for 10 minutes. It maintains its temperature, and it continues slowly cooking. Mm-hmm. So that it gets yeah. it somewhere around 135-ish, which is what I like. I take that bad boy out. This is out. very precise. Mm. This is even more precise. I mean, oh, this is like the sound it. effects is like beep, 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 yeah, boop, boop, like cooking it. steak. Beep. Well, I'm a big fan of these pellet grills because you get this real smoky flavor to your food that comes from hardwood, but there's no chemicals. Mm-hmm. They compress the hardwood sawdust just with natural sugars, the natural right. sugars in the sawdust. And, you know, there's a bunch of different companies. There's uh, Green Mountain Grill makes a good grill. I got a Yoder at home I really like. Again, Traeger is really mm-hmm. good. Uh, most of my friends are using Traegers because they, they, this temperature control thing and the apps are so good. To be able to use it on your phone, I'm a big fan yeah. of. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, I like it the sounds, fact that you can. Sounds good. You set it and you can just walk the fuck away from it too, and it's going to smoke your meat at 250 yeah. degrees and just keep. Yeah. And it yeah. has a good, rich, that smoky flavor, whether it's hickory or cherry, you know, whatever you choose. The only the thing that I have to do, I don't know why I'm like this with a steak, is I still need to dip it in something. Mm. You know, in the same way that you dip a prime rib in horseradish. So I use stone mustard. Ooh. I dip my steak in, you know, like the stone mustard with oh. a little. Little Dude, texture to it. It's I am perfect. Hungry, it's perfect. Man. I know. God it's it's, it's, it's freaking the middle of the day <sighs> on a on a Tuesday, and I'm hungry. Stone. We went mustard. to we went to Maestro's last night and had steak. That's a good that spot. Was, it was it was good. I had a fascinating fascinating discussion about artificial sweeteners there with the. Uh, uh, one of the guys who runs Quest Nutrition, and he oh, was talking what's about. What's his name? Tom. He, he said no. Guy? It wasn't Tom. It was Ron. Ron Penna. And he, and he was drinking Diet Coke, and we were talking about some of the studies out there on acesulfamide potassium and the potential for it to have neurotoxicity or sucralose to cause things like uh, you know microbiome issues and, yeah. and death of bacteria in the gut. And he was explaining how the amount of artificial sweeteners used in that study was just uh, way far in excess of what you'd get from a diet soda, and that what they call the incretin response, like like that that uh, spiking of the appetite that is attributed sometimes to the consumption of artificial sweeteners Mm -hmm. only occurs in people who aren't used to artificial sweetener consumption and once they've kind of gotten into like a like a diet coke habit that that goes away (laughs) now now this is all brand new this is like 12 hours ago right so i I started drinking diet coke and i do know they use artificial sweeteners some of their their bars and so yeah some of that playing as well but he said you could take a shower in diet coke and you wouldn't get sticky because there's that that's such a small amount of artificial it's like a dusting of artificial sweeteners in it. Hmm. so it actually it's 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 making i haven't delved into the research yet but it's at least made me think last night about reconsidering my stance because what i usually do is i just use use stevia 
and yeah. like Pellegrino. Like my refrigerator is just full of Pellegrino. Do you ever try Zevia? Because I do a lot. Of, I love Zevia. I too. love that I shit. Lo- I love it. Yeah, I drink the shit yeah. out of that stuff. I got in trouble the other day because I'm so into Z. I was doing that Spartan live feed announcing, and they're sponsored by uh, uh, Fit Aid, right? And they they cut to camera and I had a big old Zevia there, and, <laughs> and we're supposed to be you know, pretending we're drinking Fit Aid or what whatever. What is Fit Aid? So take the Zevia down. Fit Aid. I don't know. It's uh, it's uh. uh I think it's got proteolytic enzymes in it. I think that's the main thing. I could be confusing that with Kill Cliff. That's the other I one that kind of that flies. Stuff. Yeah, and, we got a bunch of those. One of them has proteolytic, which are great. They break down fibrinogen. They're wonderful for recovery. These enzymes, and I don't know how many of them they have. Dude, it's like that. Uh, Blood orange Kill Cliff mm-hmm, used as a marinade for wild really? pork. Holy baby Jesus! Really. Woo! That's like beer can chicken. You. Well, that's one of the things. Uh, well, Kill I wonder Cliff. if that's because, well, proteolytic enzymes, one of the reasons they work is they break down fibrinogen and they're almost like an enzyme, right? That same thing if you have no marinade and nothing at all to tenderize meat, you get your digestive enzymes, you're, you're on it gut pack or whatever you have mm. around, and you break open the capsules and you sprinkle that on top of the meat. It's like a, yeah. it's like a you know, from ceviche almost, right? Like yeah. you do with lemon and lime and fish. It's a phenomenal yeah. marinade for meat. That's Kill Cliff orange. I'm fun. guessing Kill Cliff is the it one with the It just tastes so good, it. too. Yeah. It's just so so delicious. Yeah. And you're getting very little sugar. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just deliciousness. I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. 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 But I go with Pellegrino. Pellegrino is it's less acidic mm-hmm. than Perrier and it has a lot of sodium bicarbonate in it. Does and it? I don't know if you looked into these studies on, on baking soda for athletic performance and its ability to be able to buffer lactic acid. Really? It's a, it's a potent ergogenic aid, but the problem is that it causes gut distress when you take as much as they use in a lot of these studies. And so more more and more what the studies are doing is you're dosing, right, with, with small amounts of baking soda for two to three hours leading into your workout. So my philosophy is this. If Pellegrino has pretty high levels of sodium bicarbonate in it, which it does, it's got more sodium bicarbonate in it than any of the other bottled waters, like twice as much as Gerald Steiner and you know any of these other waters out there, I'm kind of dosing with a little bit of a lactic acid buffer all day long. So huh. anytime I want to jump into a workout, I'm able to push myself a little bit harder. Do you notice this a difference between... Yeah. I know of zero Pellegrino studies on this. But, but do you notice a difference physically between not... I feel amazing when I drink that stuff all day really? long. Really? I drink that and I drink this... Uh, uh, it's it's hydrogen-enriched water. Uh, molecular hydrogen. This, this uh, foundation called the Molecular Hydrogen Foundation. They do studies on the anti-inflammatory and antioxidant potential of water that has a lot of hydrogen ions in it. It's called hydrogen-rich water. And the cool part about that is that, and I, the only other thing I know of that can do this are green tea polyphenols, is they act as an anti-inflammatory post-exercise without blunting the hormetic response, that positive, beneficial, stressful response we were talking about with exercise. And so you you can have your cake and eat it too, right? You get your antioxidants, you shut down inflammation, and it doesn't blunt. In this case, the hormetic response to exercise would be the proliferation of satellite cells and the production of new mitochondria, which is why you shouldn't take a bunch of vitamin C and vitamin E and some of these high antioxidant compounds post-workout. Same reason you shouldn't do a cold bath post-workout. And the idea is that hydrogen-rich water allows you to shut down inflammation without stop, blunting stop that, that hormetic again. response. Why shouldn't you take a cold bath post-workout? And is there a, there's the, a certain period of time where they think you should, you could, 
but it's right. the you have to give your body a time over. It's all to adjust. Right. For, right. for, for me, for me, I go two or three mean? hours. For it, it, yeah, as, as far as like some people say, I did, you don't take, don't jump into the cold bath. Fifteen minutes after I've workout an hour or, or cryo is the right chamber. Way, according to Rhonda Patrick, I, I wait two or three hours. And two I, to three I don't, hours. I don't know if if Rhonda's basing that on research or if it's an extrapolation or, or what. But I wait a couple hours. Now that the the exception to that rule is that if you exercise any closer than three hours to bedtime, it elevates body temperature to the point where it affects your deep sleep cycles, right? So, and one reason for that is because your core temperature is elevated. So for me, if I do an evening workout, and I do, you know, hard later afternoon, early evening workouts quite often, I will still take a cold shower. I actually have a giant cold. I bought one of those endless pools, you know, like those fitness pools that you swim in, and I keep it out in the forest behind my house, and it's just chock full of cold water. Yeah, we talked about and that the jump last in time there. there. I love that but, idea. But it decreases your core temperature and allows you to sleep better later on mm. if you do that after an evening workout. So even though it probably restricts the efficacy of the workout a little bit, lets you sleep my, better. Yeah, my reasoning is that I'm going to sleep way better and any the benefits I get from a good solid night's sleep outweigh any loss of benefit from decreasing a little bit of that mitochondrial density and, and satellite cell proliferation. So when you're doing this bath. late night workout, uh, how far, before, like how long before you well, go to sleep are you wh- doing What this? research has shown is that it's ideal to finish a hard workout within three hours before bedtime if you don't want to... If, if you don't Fuck want to, sleep. to mess up your sleep, exactly. But with your so, cold bath, you can I, probably mitigate some of the... Right, and I go to bed pretty early. I usually go to bed about... But usually nine thirty, nine forty-five, I'm in bed reading, and I'm asleep around ten, ten thirty. So if I'm not finishing up a workout till like seven thirty, which is the case sometimes, you know, I finish work, I'm not getting into the workout until like six forty-five, seven. Like sometimes I'm working out closer to bedtime than three hours. So in that case, I'll do the cold shower. Did a podcast bath. recently with Doctor Matthew Walker about sleep, and it's kind of changed the way I feel about sleep and the the importance of it, and how much how much you I, need. Uh, I, I used to think you could just power through. And get through with like three, four hours a night, and you'd be fine. You can, yeah, but it you fucks can. you up. Well, there's there's exceptions to that. I mean, some people have this. I think it's the DEC two gene that allows you to actually get by on a lot less sleep. Some members of the population have that gene. It's a very small and, member of the population. It's a small though. member, but furthermore, there's this guy named Doctor Lick Hittle, Nick Littlehales is his name. I, I could have really messed up his name right there. <laughs> Lick and Dick, Dick Nittlehales. <laughs> Anyways, he's um he he's got this concept. He works with a lot of these European soccer teams. And what he looks at is not the seven to nine hours of sleep, not how many hours of sleep per night you get, but the number of sleep cycles, right, from stage one to stage five sleep that you get throughout the course of the week, meaning mm-hmm. you're supposed to get 31 to 35 sleep cycles over seven days. And so you might get three sleep cycles one night and five sleep cycles another night. And he also, I haven't seen research to back this up, but this is what he does with his athletes is he counts a 20 to 30 minute power nap as a sleep cycle. So technically you could sleep four hours one night and then you could do a a eight hour sleep night on a Saturday and a 20 minute nap on a Sunday. And then you add up all your sleep cycles and you can use any self quantification device to, if you want to actually measure how many times you're, you're cycling during the, during a night of sleep. And you look at 
that instead of am I getting a consistent seven to nine hours of sleep a night? Mm. Look at the total sleep. I I literally just wrote an article about this this morning on my website. You should and listen to the podcast with Matthew Walker because he's pretty in depth about what is what's recommended and why mm-hmm. and the risk of Alzheimer's for people to get less than five hours sleep a night and oh, how, I believe anything it. less I mean, than I'm a seven. sleep hog. I'm a yeah. sleep hog. But what are you getting every night? Uh, I am for 24 hour cycles getting about eight hours, which mm. means like if I sleep, uh, seven hours, I take a, a 20 to 45 minute nap. And that sounds afternoon. perfect. I'm a, I'm a big napper and my naps are very elaborate. Well, you're also, but, you work out extremely hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not working out as hard as some of these pro athletes who are needing right. like 10 hours of sleep a night. Right. But, but for the average person. Oh, I have these Normatech boots that I lay in these, mm-hmm. these gradated compression boots that kind of move the, the compression from the ankle all the way up to the hips. Yeah. And I lay on this bio mat, which is like laying on a warm teddy bear. It's like this mat that makes infrared rays. So it's, it's like an infrared radiation mat, almost like a sauna. And then I've got these these binaural, oh, not binaural beats. It's it's an artificial intelligence based audio that confuses your brain and lulls you into this this total state of relaxation. It's called Brain FM. So I lay on my back and I've got the boots on and I have the mat on, and I I know this every night? I'm I'm sounding like a like a princess now, but I have <laughs> I have an assistant who lives at my house and she really helps out with a lot of stuff. She she does the banking and she helps out with bringing stuff to the post office, and you know she's just she's just there whenever I need her to do stuff. And you know she helps out. She's back home with the kids right now, so she's just kind of like a live in assistant. And every day about twelve thirty or one. She goes up to my bed, she lays out the biomass, she plugs it in, she pushes it on my temperature, she lays out the Normatec boots, she pushes the pillow out with the sleep mask and the headphones, and then I just go up there after lunch, and I lay down for about 45 minutes, and I'm just dead to the world. And That's a pretty sweet and setup. Yeah, it's it's a good setup. That's a good, a, if you a, could find a live-in a good person nap. like that that you trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not so, crazy. So the idea with sleep, though, is, yeah, if, if, you, if you nap and if you pay closer attention to the number of sleep cycles that you get each week, I think that's more important than getting, like, seven to nine hours a night. Mm. How would yeah. you know how many sleep cycles unless you're monitoring it? You, are you using You'd have that to ring? monitor it. Is that what you're monitoring with? You got yeah, one of those? Yeah, yeah, I use one of these. And the ring's pretty accurate. I mean, it's uh, it's not as accurate as a sleep lab study, but it's it's accurate. Kevin yeah. Rose tried to get me to wear one of those things. So, yeah. yeah it's big. They've got another one that's smaller. but It seems I, I don't very rock starish. Like it. It, yeah, it does. Very Gene Simmons-like. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I need a lot of necklaces and <laughs> bling to go along with it. But it, it works. I found it in Finland like four years ago, and I bought it, and I, I really have been using it. Ever since it does like my sleep temperature, there it is. And my oh, they've heart. shrunk it. That's yeah, that's that's the littler one. The smart I don't think that helps that's... you get more restorative. Just whatever designed it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Aura mm. OU. I wish I'd have invested in the company because they seem to be like everywhere now. Mm. And and how does uh, it help you get this, more sleep? I was at a Finland biohacking conference and there was this tiny little table with one guy at it selling this little ring, and all of a sudden it's just like is that a diamond? Now. Are those diamonds? I don't. What think, is that? Is that a light? I don't know if they're real. What's yeah, that? Sp- is that bling? Good. Are they trying to say it's mm-hmm. bling? That's bling. Mm-hmm. It's bling. That's diamonds. They're blinging it up. Letting bitches um, know. <laughs> but it, it's kind of cool because you can pull up your body temperature during the night. So a woman could use this to track her cycles. It will tell you your heart rate variability, 
which I used to measure every morning when I wake up. I'd look at my parasympathetic and my sympathetic nervous system score, and then I'd be able to tell if I should do a hard workout that day or and if I should re- do an easy do that workout your that day. Ring? Well, now the ring just it measures it all during the night. Right. Like it does five-minute measurements throughout the night while I'm asleep. So I wake up, I can get a running average of and my HRV. And you're getting HRV. this on your smartphone? or And then it, it pairs that with like how hard I worked out the day before, my heart rate, my body temperature, and then it tells me, here's your readiness score. So if my readiness score is at like 60%, then I'm going to go in the sauna and do yoga, right? And if my readiness score is like 90, I'll do I'll go out and do the obstacle course at my house and swing kettlebells and, and beat up the body a little bit more. So it's pretty useful. Is it ever at if 100? You, I've never seen it at 100. No. What would that mean? Like why, no. why wouldn't it be I at bet 100? if I took a two-hour nap on the on that mat <laughs> with the boots, it would probably get up to 100. Those Normatec um, boots, they sent them to me. I sent them to my friend Cam. I'm, I'm not wearing yeah. them. Just, I don't... Cameron Haynes. Yeah. But what, he he runs a lot. They're probably have you, good. Have you seen they have them for the arms? They have them for the arms and the hips too. You I can be like a giant now. marshmallow man. What does it do? I would for imagine you? if if you do a lot of upper body activity, like maybe you're a pitcher, um, maybe a, a swimmer, yeah, a boxer, someone who's doing a lot of upper body activity that the arms would be efficacious. There but, it is. Yeah, they look kind of silly and they're kinda hard to get on by yourself. Yeah. So I would so, that would be one more thing for my assistant to have to help me with. What is it doing again? It's, it's gradated compression. So it's uh, apparently a form of compression that they've patented, unlike a lot of the other boots out there, to where it the first time it inflates, it measures the diameter of your limbs. And then it bases every subsequent compression to be customized to the diameter, the, the girth of your limbs, and pump the blood. In this case, if you're wearing the feet or, or the leggings from your ankles all the way up to your hips. You had a picture yeah. of Loma, was that Lomachenko in those uh, one of those earlier pictures? This one? No. no, it was another one yeah. earlier than that. Uh, it, it works. I mean, your legs way. feel light as a feather after you really? use them. Yeah. And so you, this compression, like as it's doing the the compressing, it, what is it doing to the legs by just compressing? Just it? pumping. It? It's pumping blood, like hmm. up up and away from all the extremities, and and just uh, moving it around better. Is that the idea? No, it's moving it back up to your heart, just circulating blood throughout your body. Yeah. Hmm. So but it's almost it, like an additional heart. It's, it's like a massage. Like a massage. But I don't know if it's it seems the, more if intense. If the heart is not a pump, then it's not like an additional heart. I'm not sure heart. if I buy that horse yeah. yeah. Anyways, though, so it's they they work though, and they're incredibly relaxing. It's yeah. a, it's almost like someone's massaging you while you're seems taking like a nap. Seems like a good thing to do yeah. to watch TV with. Yeah. Well, you can kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. Like you can. And Look at that. Woo. Oh wow, he's got the full meal deal. This Honolulu guy has the arms on. He's oh, got Max the Holloway. legs on. Now this is a little bit. It, it could it could get expensive to do that because now you got to have two inflation units rather than just mm. one because you can't plug them all in at once. So that's a spendy setup. But well, that that's the UFC be, featherweight champ. One way. To, well, if he's the UFC featherweight champ, he can he can afford the Cadillac of marshmallow man suits. Well, he's at mm. uh, Honolulu Cryotherapy getting his freak on. Mm. That's that. what a lot of these cryotherapy uh, centers have now. Is they've got the walking cryotherapy. They've got the Normatec mm-hmm. boots. They've got the vibration platform, so you can lose weight while you're standing there on the vibration platform. Yeah. Burn a lot of fat. What do you think about those things, those um, ultrasonic things? You know what I'm talking about? What are those called? No. Um, Turbosonics. You ever seen those They're platforms? They're a vibration platform. Yeah, they go through like a whole cycle. Like, yes. When I was in Park City, 
I did one of those, yeah. yeah. It makes uh, you feel great. Dude, I had to go take a shit right after. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Bust it all yeah, loose. <laughs> seriously. I, no, I'm serious. I was on that thing for yeah. like eight minutes, and I said, excuse me, and, and I had a glorious dump afterwards. Yeah, so shaking all your uh, pipes loose. I have, I have a, a mini trampoline at my house, and I jump up and down on that thing in the mornings, and it gets everything moving. Yeah. That's, a, that's like my one-two combo for having a really good dump in the mornings is there's this herbal blend called Triphala, T-R-I-P-H-A-L-A. And I put about a half teaspoon of that into a cup, and it's super bitter. So I put some stevia in there or something to sweeten it up a little bit. And I pour the hot water over that, and you have that at night, right, before you go to bed. And you wake up in the morning, and you could use a vibration platform. You could do the uh, the Tai Chi bouncing. That's another thing some people will do where you just kind of bounce up and down like this. Skip rope. Or you can, you can jump on a trampoline. You can probably skip rope, too. And it, that one-two combo just gets things moving amazingly. Mm. Yeah, have yeah. have a couple Maybe. double espressos before that you too. Could, yeah, well, I, I do. Ooh, I do ooh, the hot ooh, cup of ooh. coffee in the morning. I don't put mm. anything in my coffee. Black. But but my my protocol for staying lean. You're right. I did this because I used to be 215 pounds and I had to shed a lot of weight to to get into Ironman triathlon. So I did Ironman triathlon for about eight years. And the way that I stayed lean for races was you get up in the morning and you have a cup of coffee or green tea. Right, because both of those can help to mobilize fatty acids from adipose tissue. And you do this when you're in that fasted state that I was talking about, right? So you wake up after a 12 to 16 hour fast and you take the cup of coffee or the green tea. And then you go exercise or move aerobically for whatever time you have available, 20 to 45 minutes. doesn't have to be that long. And the reason that you do it aerobically is because when you wake up in the morning, you already have a lot of cortisol in your system. Right. There's, there's no need to just stress yourself even, even more by doing a very hard workout. I like to ease my way into the day. I like a non-stressful morning unless I've got a very busy day and I know that I'm not going to get a hard workout at any other time. I save my hard workout for the later afternoon or the early evening when your body temp peaks and your grip strength peaks and your post-workout reaction time or your, your uh, post-workout uh, protein synthesis peaks, your, uh, your reaction time peaks, like, like your body is very equipped to do a hard workout in the afternoon or the evening more than it is in the morning. Well, the way you can and, really tell is jujitsu. Um, my yeah. jujitsu training in the morning, I'm way weaker. I just yep. don't feel the same. Yeah. In the afternoon, you have much more energy. Yeah, exactly. So the, uh, the idea is also when you do a hard workout in the morning, you get a lot of times post-workout caloric compensation, meaning you just want to eat everything in sight until freaking mm. lunch. You're, right. just, you're just hungry. And part of it's probably physical because you empty your glycogen stores more quickly. And part of it probably is mental right like i fucking punished it this morning i just right. des- i deserve to you know have mm-hmm. have a few extra slices of bread with lunch so the uh the idea is i get up i do the coffee and then i'll do the 20 to 45 minutes of easy movement and that might be the yoga in the sauna it'll be a walk in the sunshine so i'm getting my vitamin d and i'll do like breath work you know where i'll, I'll breathe in through my nose and do breath holds so i'm still kind of making my body better but I'm not stressing it out with a lot of eccentric muscle tissue damage. And then I finish up that whole session with a cold shower. So I'm getting a lot of those benefits of white adipose tissue to brown fat conversion in the absence of any inflammation, right? Inflammation and calories keep the white fat from getting converted into brown fat, which is what you want when you're doing a cold shower or a cold soak or some kind of cold thermogenesis. And I'm able to stay super lean with that protocol. You get up, caffeine, aerobic exercise in a fasted state, you finish up with a cold. And I mean, even if you weren't working out, you can stay pretty lean with that type of protocol. 
And this is what it, you did specifically to try to lose weight to go from when you were bodybuilding. I, I did it originally to, to to just shed muscle, and then I would do really long catabolic chronic cardio endurance workouts, which are not that great for you. Right, but I would just lean, you know I would go just on four hour rise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and when I, you were doing this, were you calorie restricting as well? Like taking? I was, I was calorie restricting. You'd go to bed at night and you'd be staring at the ceiling, hungry. Like it, it's yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to lose weight, right? Because so your, your body power to weight ratio, yourself. your body starts eating yourself. Now for these, <clears throat> for these fasted workouts. If you are going to do a fasted hard workout in the morning, you can stay. You can stay anabolic but relatively non-insulinogenic without spiking your blood glucose too heavily with something like amino acids. All right, so it's so like a lot of people will do a branch chain amino acid or an essential amino acid. You elevate your blood levels of amino acids. It keeps you anabolic. It allows you to stave off central nervous system fatigue, keeps you from shedding too much muscle, and you just spike your blood levels of amino acids and then go into your workout. And you could even throw something like ketones in the mix too. So that's like a very hypocaloric way to get a pre-workout sup in without actually getting a lot of calories in at the same time and we so. were talking before the podcast about we we're talking about different athletes and diets and things along those lines and you were saying that you don't think it's a good idea for a pro athlete particularly like a basketball player to be on a ketogenic on a diet. ketogenic diet yeah. yeah i i don't think that a strict ketogenic diet is a good strategy i think that a cyclic ketogenic diet would be the way to go for something like that yeah, Zach Bitter. Um, and that's exactly what I do is I'll eat almost zero carbohydrates the entire day. Plants, starches, uh, fats. I think I told you about my morning smoothie the last time I was on. And it's just, you know, like coconut milk and bone broth and these precursors to NAD, which is another very, very, that's, that probably next to stem cells is one of the most potent anti-aging protocols that you can engage in. NAD stands and, for? I'll, I'll, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide is what that is. And I, I can tell you about that in, in a second. After I, I'll, I'll just briefly tell you about this cyclic ketogenic diet. Basically, it's all plants, all fats, no carbs or very low carbs the entire day. And then in the evening, and this is where the beauty of that scenario I talked about earlier fits in because you've done your, your hard afternoon or early evening workout. So your GLUT4 transporters are very upregulated. You're very insulin sensitive. And any carbohydrates that you do eat are far more likely to be shuttled into muscle or liver glycogen rather than hanging around the bloodstream causing inflammation or rather than being, you know, shuttled to the liver and converted into triglycerides. You're basically using the carbohydrates that you do eat at the end of the day to sock away energy for the next day's hard glycolytically demanding workout. Right? And so basically you're, you're teaching your body how to be a fat burning machine all day long. You're restricting any amount of glycemic variability all day long, assuming you're not doing the carnivorous diet because high amounts of meat, it's, it's, it's gluconeogenic. It can spike blood glucose. But you're essentially doing lots of plants, a moderate amount of fats, and uh, you know some amount of protein, but but not a crazy amount of protein all day long. And then with dinner, you know we'll do you know Jessa makes sourdough bread, and we'll have sweet potato fries, and my you know my kids will make rice cakes, you know or, or you know, dark chocolate, red wine, any of that stuff is all in the evenings. So that refills your glycogen stores for anything explosive and demanding, and then you just rinse, wash, and repeat the next day. So. That's a cyclic ketogenic diet. Now, and this is cyclic in one individual 24-hour session, but are you experiencing states of ketosis during the day? Yeah, absolutely. With that sort of diet? Absolutely. I, yeah. So I have a device called a Level in my office, L-E-V-L, and it's a breath ketone device. It's just quicker and more convenient than a blood stick. It's also is it just as effective? Long-term, it, it, it's a good proxy. It's a good approximation. L-E-V-L. Uh, yeah, L-E-V-L. There's another one called the Ketonics, and you can get you know just like a, you know, a, a ketone 
ketone monitor, a blood ketone monitor. Uh, but if people don't want to do a blood prick every day, if, you know, I, I type, I don't, you know, I don't like having the band-aids on the fingers when I'm trying to write yeah. things on my lap. It's just, it's easier for me to just breathe into a tube when I walk into my office. There it is. I'm easily, breathe, yeah, that's measure, exactly. track and adjust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So weird so, how this has become such a, a massive part of culture these days, is measuring your ketones. Mm-hmm. And you just constantly hear people talking about it, and it's so yeah. fatty. Yeah. Fad Now, you know? Yeah, I get it. That's funny. Fatty. Uh, anyways, I didn't mean it. I just oh. I said it, and I had to explain what I was saying because yep. it sounded weird to me. Yeah. Anyways, though, the uh, the cyclic ketogenic diet allows you to be back in the state of ketosis by that morning easily, and then you just basically maintain that all day long. Then you refuel on carbohydrates at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, and then there was another question that you asked. Oh, about NAD. That's something completely different, but that but that's the cyclic ketogenic diet. That, that's so, how it works. So your um, body having those carbohydrates at night knocks you out of ketosis, right? When you're when you're eating the yeah, bread yeah. and all your, that stuff, your, your blood glucose will rise. You're not going to be shuttling a lot of acetyl CoA, which is right. the precursor to ketones and the ketone generation. And then you're going through and, a 16 hour fasting cycle. But then you have a 12 to 16 hour fasting cycle. You get up, you do the fasted morning aerobic workout, the cold shower, a little bit of coffee or green tea, and, and it's, it's a perfect. Perfect scenario. Ketosis. It works perfect. I'm telling yeah. you, you, you start your day off like that, and then you end your day with the carbohydrates. That's you do the hard afternoon workout, the easy morning workout, and it, it, like for for metabolism, for body composition, uh, for for maintaining fitness, for teaching yourself how to be a fat burning machine while still refilling the body with carbohydrate stores. It's a beautiful scenario. Also, I just think there's some there's some benefit in enjoying what you eat too and not constantly worrying about your glucose levels and ketones right. and all that stuff. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little bread or a little pasta or something like that there's, every now and again. There's nothing wrong with it. And that, I mean, it's also my beef with the, with the carnivore diet is, yeah. you know, I like sweet potato fries and I like, you know, I like cauliflower rice and I like, you know, all yeah. sorts of different plants and vegetables. Now this, um, this NAD, you can get these injections or IVs now, and it is something that enhances your own stem cell proliferation, but it is one of the most potent anti-aging molecules you can put into your body in terms of decreasing the rate at which your telomeres shorten. So you've probably heard a lot of these sirtuin-rich foods like blueberries and cacao and chocolate and resveratrol, and a lot of them work, but the most powerful of any of these is NAD, and your NAD to NADH ratio is highly reflective of your telomere health. And these are the most horribly painful and uncomfortable injections or IVs you would you'll ever get in your life. You can you can do it orally. There's a there's a capsule. There's companies like Elysium uh, and Niagen that sell NR. Nic- I take that stuff. Nicotinamide nicotinamide riboside. It's a precursor to NAD, but it doesn't hold a candle to just mainlining it into your bloodstream. And how do you get it? Where do you and get you it from? And you can do so. One way to do it is in a medical clinic. You can get a six to eight hour IV. You bring your laptop in. You you work away. And some people do this on a monthly basis. Just you know, six fill, to eight hours of NAD. It's, it's a long drip. Um, you know, they, they do it on a monthly have, basis, uh, so they just you know, pick that, a day a month. Some, some of the guys down at Onnit do it, and they'll have a nurse come in and push it a little bit more quickly. That's like an hour-long uh, IV. Is it just beneficial and to do it short like that? It's way more uncomfortable. The shorter you get, the more uncomfortable it gets because you're Why? pushing this stuff into your bloodstream more quickly, and it feels like your whole body is on fire. I mean, you have to box breathe and close your eyes and meditate. Is it painful? Try. It's it's like, have you ever done DMT? Mm-hmm. 
It's like DMT, but you're on fire and getting punched in the gut at the same time, and you feel like your heart's going to explode. It, really? And, and then you finish, and you feel like Superman. You feel like you have more energy on less sleep. Your workouts are better. I mean, you, it's one of the. It's like fish oil, where when you take a bunch of fish oil, you just kind of keep your fingers crossed that it's working. It's not like you can feel fish oil, and you want to go destroy the world. Um, it's even better than black ant extract. Where so are you this, getting this, so? So there's you can get it too. You can so I get it shipped to my house and I do a self-administered push IV. I do the same thing with Myers cocktails. So I just I shove a butterfly needle into my vein and then I push this NAD in very very slowly. And you can even chase it with a Myers cocktail, which enhances the effectiveness of it. Meaning you can do like a an NAD. And this is a common protocol in a lot of anti-aging clinics or a lot of you know like uh, alternative health clinics. Is you do the NAD injection and you follow that up with a Myers cocktail and you feel like Superman. And Myers cocktail is, is again that's just vitamins, right? It's like you know vitamin. B, IV infusion. Yeah, okay. It's IV infusion of vitamin B, and sometimes all the little nootropics in there, like lithium and stuff like that. It's too much to remember, but, man. Oh, but it's how it, do you dude, keep all this so shit in your good. head? Uh, I'm a complete idiot about anything except health and nutrition and fitness. That's how. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't watch TV, and and uh, I don't follow politics or anything like that. Good for I you. Just, I just study health. Keep the poison out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like Sherlock Holmes when Watson tells him his, his, him his name and he. He says, I'm going to work hard to forget that because he doesn't want anything cluttering up his head at all right. aside from his sleuthing. So, so is there an NAD place in L.A. where mm, I could go and do this? Yes. there. I was speaking with somebody yesterday about this, and he asked me if I could find a clinic, and I found one in Beverly Hills. Hmm. And uh, it's probably an, a, one of the long IVs. So you want to wait till you have some computer work to do and you can sit on your laptop and just kind of get stuff done. Six to eight hours. Yeah. Or you could just listen to podcasts. Or you can, you can push it in in about 15 to 20 minutes Woo. and you can have a nurse practitioner do this. And then there's some clinics that will do, it's called a push IV, an NAD push IV. So and I'm doing this. It's just as beneficial, just more painful. I'm doing this once a week now and it's once the most painful 10 to 20 minutes of my entire week, but you, you feel amazing. And I'm I'm testing my telomere length with this company called Tello Years. They t there's another one, I forget the name of the other company that tests your telomere length. There's only a couple out there. So it, it tests the rate at which your telomeres are shortening. And the two things that have had the most profound effect on my results from that test have been the stem cell injections intravenously and the NAD injections. My biological age right now, which started off at an age of 37 when I was 34, and then decreased to 35 when I tested again at 36 years old. I just tested at 37 years old and my biological age is 20 in terms of the rate at which my telomeres are shortening. And the only two things that have changed have been the stem cell injections 20. and the NAD injections. Dude, so you're in terms freaking of your me out. biological age, you can reverse your biological age. Now there is some... Uh, Side effects? No. The, like, <laughs> so the telomere test is a, is a test of your white blood cell telomere length, which is not reflective of every cell in your body, right? So, so technically, uh, it's, it's not like a, it's not an ironclad test with a ton of research behind it, but it's an approximate corollary to your biological age. It's the best we have right now to be able to test telomere length, but I'm not going to pretend like it's a, it's a, it's a gold standard test. And I'm not aware of a gold standard test for telomere length, but I can tell you that I feel amazing and 
that telomere length is shortening and those NAD injections just make you feel like Superman. So do you think it's a combination of the things or do you, would you attribute it more to that's, the NAD? That's or the, the problem with the right. shit I do, dude. You like, do so I, many like, different yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. And there, and there's stuff you can do to enhance your own endogenous stem cell production. We were talking about meat and I told you about that study with the, where we were talking about the carnosine and the blueberry mm -hmm. extract. That's one. Uh, chlorella is another. Colostrum is fantastic for that, for endogenous stem cell health. Coffee berry fruit extract. That's another really fascinating one. You can buy that on Amazon as a powder. And I put a lot of this stuff in my morning smoothie now. So when I wake up, you know, I've got chlorella, I've got DHA, I've got this, uh, this stuff called Powdy Arco Bark Tea, which also enhances your own NAD production. Uh, colostrum, bone broth vitamin C to enhance the bone broth uptake. So you can kind of make yourself a little a little cocktail of ingredients that you just take in the morning without necessarily spending, you know, 8,000 bucks on a stem cell and extraction and injection. Have you thought about like having some sort of an online thing where people could subscribe to a protocol and you would, you know, well, what I thought about doing was just making like a, like a, a supplement or something like that, like where you could take all this stuff and just combine it into a shake or, or into some kind of a supplement, some sort of a powder or something. Yeah. And, and I mean, some, some people who don't understand the supplement industry or formulation say, well, why don't you I just put all this stuff in a capsule? But I mean, you, you, one, compound can decrease the absorptability of the other compound or you know one compound will create it in you know an acidic or an alkaline scenario in which the other one doesn't work well so it mm. would require a lot of testing but ultimately you know at this point i just blend it all in a blender and kind of keep my fingers crossed and dump it all into my big ass mug and, and but it seems it like you know someone like you who knows so much about this stuff it would be a great resource if people could subscribe to something and you guys could put together some sort of a protocol for people that would they could follow it on a daily basis. You could, but, you know, you're creating more work for me. Yeah, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, but it would, the problem is genetic variability, mm, right? Like this right. whole high fat diet. And, uh, you know, I, I saw yesterday that you tweeted out, uh, uh, you know, my friend Nina Teicholz's, you know, data, you know, encouraging the, you know, high saturated fat intake. And I, I love her and I love her approach. And I love the idea that she is getting a lot of people, you know, via via lobbying to to focus less on grains and a high carb diet, which I think is helpful for a lot of people. But at the same time, there are there are genes, right? Like the PPAR1 alpha gene, which would cause uh, a little bit of an inflammatory response to high intake of fats or to uh, a lot of saturated fats without a lot of poly or monounsaturated fats. There, I think the last time that we talked, we, we talked about familial hypercholesteremia, right? Where some people, if they shift to a ketogenic or a high fat diet, it screws them from a metabolic standpoint because they get not only high cholesterol, but, you know, high particle count and, and oxidation of that cholesterol. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's ways around that, you know, for example, like a Katavan diet would be what you'd consume if you were, if you were eating, or, or if you had this familial hypercholesteremia where you'd eat a lot of tubers and fish and coconut meat and wild plants. And that's technically like a 70 to 80% carbohydrate based diet, not with a lot of grains, you know, not with a lot of junk food, but that would be a diet more appropriate for someone with that issue. Um, someone with a PPAR gene issue, they'd want to eat less of the coconut oil and the butter and the cheeses and more of like the avocados and the extra virgin olive oil and more of the Mediterranean mm -hmm. diet approach. 
you know, I mentioned earlier that the, the fact that coconut oil and a lot of these saturated fats and a lot of people are inflammatory. So they would want to eat a lot of, uh, a lot of antioxidants and flavanol and polyphenol rich, you know, small non-sugary berries and dark leafy greens. And so, yeah, again, you could have a subscription-based service that teaches people a lot of these things, but then once again, you got to have either artificial intelligence that's screening each person to mm. look at what they actually need, or you've got a real person talking to each person, looking at their labs and saying, okay, this is the one that would work well for you, rather than just saying, okay, this this has been smoothie, everybody should be drinking this. Right. Yeah, I went to this one thing once where they monitored my blood and I abandoned it immediately because they told me I shouldn't have avocados. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, this is, that, this that's an IgG food allergy test. And the problem is that you produce a lot of these immunoglobulins to foods that you eat a lot. So people will be I like, a I, shitload of I love eggs and, yeah. and they do this test and they walk out depressed with their tail between yeah. their legs because they can't have avocados and eggs anymore. And it's yeah. because they were eating a shit ton of avocados and eggs. The, it's uh, dumb, right? Yeah, there's one called a Cyrex food allergy panel. It's a little more. You don't get this huge laundry list of foods that give you false positives. It's a pretty accurate test. Well, That's the one that I use. Knew it was nonsense. I was like, I yeah. feel great. I eat avocados all the time. This can't yeah. be anything other than nonsense. Yeah. 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 Well, it's not nonsense. I mean, they it's nonsense they, they, in the sense they of the technically have the immunoglobulin reaction to avocados, and there's no bodies in the streets, no evidence that that's right. going to actually hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. It's just you would have to go on some sort of a very neutral diet for a long period of time, get your body's baseline established. Mm -hmm. get, exactly. Get your blood work you done along the way. Whatever rice for yeah. a month, and then get it taken. You know, yeah. no proteins at all. And, and even then, yeah. what would that do with your you blood? Could probably lipids? do like a washout, like a five day fast. And mm. you know, that's that that new Walter Longo longevity diet. Is you do, I think it's five over the no, once a quarter five day fast. Right, to clean you out, to get all the benefits of cellular autophagy. And with that particular diet, you know, I've, I was talking before about how long-term calorie restriction is, is bad for you. you know, mm -hmm. and, and this whole idea of intermittent fasting with caloric restriction creates hormone deficits and associated with like gallstones and all sorts of nasty things happen to your body when you don't give it enough calories. What so, about long-term, like, you know, when people go on those five-day fasts, like Dom Dog right, that's that's Walter Longo's that approach is you do a five-day fast just a few times a year. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in active individuals and athletes, he only recommends like two or three times a year max that you do this five-day fast and you put it in an off-season or a recovery phase or some mm -hmm. period of time where you're not training heavily. And that scenario would allow you to get a lot of the cellular autophagy and the cleanup benefits. And theoretically, you could do that, right? And then go get your food allergy tests right. and then see what kind of proteins are, are floating around your bloodstream. And you're doing a 24-hour fast how often? What works for me? Because I'd, I don't do well not eating for five days. Mm -hmm. I'm too active. Like, I just right. have too much shit going on. All Like, there aren't many times during the year when I could point out a five-day slot in my schedule where I'm not hunting or competing or working out or, or doing something that requires me to need calories or else I'm just going to – I'm already skinny. Right? right? Like, I can't go for a long time without eating. and My metabolism is sky high. So – what I do is a 12 to 16 hour fast every day, not a calorically restricted fast, but just 12 to 16 hours without eating every single day on the lower activity days. I take in less protein and I restrict meat. Right, so on the days where I'm not beating up my body too much, you know, like a Wednesday and a Sunday, which are more recovery days, those are the days when I do, you know, freaking, I call those my self-love days, right? Like I do clay masks and coffee enemas and infrared <laughs> therapy. Uh, like, so I'm still- Coffee enemas, oh, self-induced? Self oh, dude, for, for, for upregulating your own glutathione production, Woo. your bio, like, 
you feel clean as a whistle. Plus, and, it's the best way to get coffee up your butt. Oh, dude. There's no other way. Yeah, you do. You do get a lot of caffeine absorption too. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm serious. Like, like yeah. if you've never done something like that and no. experienced what it feels like to just be completely cleaned out, it's a pretty good feeling. So, what's it do to you? The coffee enema not only cleans out your colon, but it causes your liver and your gall or your gallbladder specifically to increase bile production. It upregulates your your glutathione production, your endogenous glutathione production, and so you're increasing your own production of antioxidants. And it also causes peristalsis, why right? you just move stuff through that's kind of moving slowly. So once a week, Wednesday mornings, I get up. I, my my wife makes coffee every morning. I have her make an extra pot. I just leave that out on the counter until it gets to room temperature. And normally when I'm drinking my coffee, I'm going through all my morning research and articles and everything down on my, I have a standing desk in the basement. But instead I go and I, I lay on my right side on the bathroom floor and I keep coffee in there for about 20 minutes while I'm working. And then I get up and you just let it all out. And you so feel, you lay on your you back feel with the coffee in you, your butt? I get a stainless steel enema bucket. So you're not injecting plastics. So you're not injecting plastics up your butt. (laughs) And then you, it's about a a quarter or so of coffee in the back side with this tube. It's a lot of coffee. Jesus. And then you lay on your right side for 20 minutes and then you get up and you let it all out. And it, and of course I have the squatty potty, so it comes out more easily. Of course, you don't have that kink in your colon. I got colon. one of those. And everything comes out, and you just you you walk away just like whistling with a big smile on your face. That you squatty feel, potty is legit. And you feel wonderful. The squatty potty works. Yeah. We really should when be I, shitting into I, a hole in the ground. When I don't have one, I perch. Do you? And my best dumps are when I'm hunting or I'm camping or you know I just right. don't have a toilet. You hold on to a tree and you kind of do it lean like a normal person, and, and it's perfect. So so on those days that I'm doing coffee enemas or sauna or any of my weird woo-woo things that don't involve workouts, I do protein restriction because I'm not beating up my body that much. Coffee enema doesn't cause a lot of eccentric muscle tissue damage unless you've done something horribly wrong. So I basically have those days as my lower protein days. And then once a week, and this would be unless I'm traveling because it's harder to do when you travel, I do a 24-hour fast. Saturday at dinner, you stop eating, sleep all night. All you got to do is skip breakfast on Sunday and skip lunch on Sunday and then have dinner on Sunday night. And that's Mm. pretty easy to do. And so I get the benefits of the longer fast, right? Because a lot of those cellular autophagy and endogenous stem cell production benefits don't kick in until you're about 16 hours in. So I get that benefit once a week, even though for me, really, it comes out to about twice a month that I'm actually at home because I travel so much doing that full 24-hour fast. And I do a lot of work that day. I play with my kids. I I just fill things in throughout that day to keep my appetite satiated. And sometimes I'll do some of those new ketone esters, and sometimes I'll do some amino acids or you know, a cup of bone broth. That doesn't count is, as breaking your fast. It's kind of sort of cheating, but it's yeah. it's it's Would, like a, it's a speed bump for a skinny, you know, high metabolism guy like me to have like a cup of forty calorie bone broth in the middle of the day. The bone broth would be hour fast. Would the ketone esters also break your fast? They're acaloric. Yeah. Um, technically, you know, from from just a pure, you know, very simple physiology standpoint, your body would need to utilize those ketones for energy before it would you know, turn some of your own acetyl CoA derived from your fat into extra ketones. But I just like the way I feel while I'm fasting using these, these, especially like the newer ketone esters. And the, and the ketone esters, on those aren't you supposed to take them with glucose? No, no, no. You are going to get a huge performance advantage by taking them with glucose, but that's also, uh, it, it's it's an ancestrally inappropriate state for the human body to have 
simultaneously elevated levels of blood glucose and elevated levels of blood ketones because mm. traditionally we'd have elevated our blood ketones through fasting. And while I'm okay with elevating blood ketones via a non-ancestral route, such as the consumption of these ketone esters designed you know, by the U.S. Department of Defense for soldiers in battle who have to go two or three days without eating or for, for you know, Tour de France riders have been using them for a while— the idea of consuming glucose along with those ketones and spiking blood glucose, which can have a little bit of an inflammatory oxidative effect, is not something I would do unless I were in, like in a race or in a really hard, demanding workout. That's mm -hmm. where something like that you can you can use like rocket fuel, and that's actually a very good mix. Some kind of like a, a fructose maltodextrin blend, which the Gatorade Sports Science Institute has shown allows you to get a really high absorption of carbohydrates rather than you know, just maltodextrin or just glucose or just fructose. Then you add in ketone esters on top of that. And then to stave off what's called central nervous system fatigue, the crossing of tryptophan into the brain, which kind of makes you feel, you know, turkey dinner, sleepy effect during exercise. You throw essential amino acids into that. So you've got amino acids, ketones, and glucose. And that mix is just pure rocket fuel. Yeah. You talked exercise. about that last time you said it was like being on steroids, that having glucose yeah, in your never, system with ketones yeah. is just fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Hmm. Now, when you go on these fasts, if you drink coffee, does coffee break your fast? Coffee or the consumption of anything from a circadian biology, right? 24 hour circadian rhythm. You've, you've got multiple circadian rhythm cues. One is movement. So when you travel and you're jet lagged, movement helps you normalize your biological clock. Mm. Another is light, right? So exposure to high amounts of morning sunlight or using one of these newfangled hacking devices like the, like the eye light or the in-ear light, that's another circadian cue. Eating, or really the consumption of anything, supplements, coffee, tea, etc., that's also a circadian cue. There's a researcher, Dr. Sachin Panda, who's got some really good research on circadian rhythmicity. And what he says is that the consumption of anything can disrupt circadian biology if you're fasting for the purposes of regulating your circadian rhythms. Maybe you've got insomnia, poor sleep patterns, inflammation due to lack of sleep or lack of, you know, the lymphatic drainage and consolidation of memory and everything that occurs during deep sleep. Your sleep is more or less fucked up, right? Like that would be a situation in which you just wouldn't want to eat anything during a fast. But if your fast is for the purposes of, let's say, like fat loss or even some of, you know, like the endogenous stem cell production benefits of fasting, an acaloric cup of coffee is not going to cause any issues. And furthermore, if you're concerned about like the cholesterols in the coffee, use a paper filter because you're going to filter out most of the cholesterols as well versus like a French press or, you know, or a steel filter. Yeah. 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 What about water? Water, I think, is completely allowed. Now, there are some people who do dry fasting. Uh, uh, that would be popular for people who have, like, candida or yeast or fungi. They would claim mm -hmm. that a moist environment would allow the bacteria to flourish. And so some of those people will do dry fasting. I know a guy who does dry fasting with autologous urine therapy, where he does a dry fast in the morning he drinks his urine. And, and that's some old Ayurvedic cleansing yeah. technique that I, I don't personally do. You ever try it? I did try it, yes. I've of course tried I it. tried it, dude. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's not 
It's not the me. best. Yeah. Actually, the, the temperature got to me more than the taste. Just like the warm hotness. Like it just, yeah. it, felt, from the it felt too alive. Yeah. It was just, mm. yeah. It was, it was not good. Yeah. So ultimately, the coffee is not an issue unless you're putting a bunch of stuff in it. Right. And, and then even though it is admittedly non-insulinogenic, and it's actually quite a kick in the pants, as you know. You know, when you blend fats with coffee, you get the the cafestol and the all They cross the blood brain barrier. They amp you up psychologically. You're also getting your body has to burn those calories before it burns a lot of its own calories. Right. So that's not something you would do. You would do well in a fasted state. Ben, and, I got to wrap this up. You uh, you're always a mind fuck, dude. Every time you come in here. I have to pause after the podcast and try to like capture little bits I, of information. I want steak and, now. That's yeah, pretty much my main takeaway from the past couple hours. Is I want I want a freaking steak. Uh, gotta, tell people how they can get to your website. Tell people how they can watch um, your videos. Go read that sleep article. I just yeah. wrote. it's it's good. BenGreenfieldFitness.com or just Google Ben Greenfield find and it. social media is Ben Greenfield. Yeah, you know, just look. For, there's not a lot of us. Benjamin Greenfield's out there. You'll find it. Benjamin yeah. Greenfield, you're a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. you, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks bro. for coming in. Right. It was awesome. Later. Bye, everybody. Wait.